Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Happy New Year, everybody. This is SportsGuy515, and as it turns out, we still have here at Forbes Perspective about two episodes left from 2019 that have yet to drop. Uh, so before we actually get into the habit of doing original brand new episodes again, uh, we figured it'd be a good idea to actually drop these episodes. Um, originally, we had three episodes ready to go. Uh, unfortunately, the most recent episode that Adolfo and I did a couple of weeks ago for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker there may be some issues with the audio file. Um, so I'm hoping that I can have a backup or Adolfo has a backup of it somewhere because if not, then that episode is pretty much a wash at this point. But the remaining two episodes are done and they're going to be dropped starting today. Today and next week, we will have these new episodes out. Um, this first one that you're about to hear is from back in October. And it's a review that we did on Joker, uh, which is seems pretty timely again, considering that this week was the Blu-ray release of Joker officially. And as of this, you know, recording that I'm doing this past weekend, uh, Joaquin Phoenix did win the Golden Globe for Best Actor for Joker, as we were hoping he would on this episode, as you will hear eventually. Uh, so we figured this would be the perfect way to start the year with finally dropping our Joker review, uh, especially considering, you know, the timing of everything. Uh, next week will be a more general force perspective episode. Uh, I believe it's from early November. Um, once I actually go back and listen to it again, uh, I can give you a better idea as I intro that episode next week. Uh, but for now, just sit back and relax and enjoy our force perspective review of Joker. This was originally recorded on October 6, 2019, and it is now finally making the airwaves this weekend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, now this next comic describes himself as a lifelong Gotham resident who, from a young age, was always told that his purpose in life was to bring laughter and joy into this cold, dark world. Um, okay. Uh, please help me welcome Arthur Fleck, y'all. Arthur Fleck. I hated school as a kid. 
I hated school as a, as a kid. <laughs> My mother would say, you should enjoy it. One day you'll have to work for a living. No, I won't, Ma. I'm gonna be a comedian. <laughs> um, here's one. You know, I was just thinking the other day, why are the rich people Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky. Everybody, welcome to the only movie podcast whose sole purpose is to bring joy and laughter to the world. Force perspective. Uh, welcome to another episode of your favorite movie podcast. I'm your host, Mark, aka Sports Guy Five One Five, and on this episode, um, we're gonna see if we can put some smiles on our faces uh, and talk about the film that's been dominating not only the box office this weekend. But a lot of the talk online and social media, Joker. So before we get into that, let me introduce my co-host first, my normal force respective co-host, Adolfo. What's going on, man? Uh, I couldn't decide between going with Why So Serious or Have You Ever Danced with the Devil in the Pale Moonlight? So um, Why So Dancing in the Pale Moonlight? <laughs> I love the compromise <laughs> there. <laughs> And, of course, on this episode, uh, we are not alone, actually. Um, we have invited a, a special guest uh, who's been to Force Respective before. Uh, let's welcome back to the show, Headcase. What's going on, man? What's going on, man? I have, a, I have a joke for you. What do you get when you cross a poorly written script with a fantastic cast? I'll tell you what you get. You get this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well... I'll elaborate on I'll elaborate on that in a little while. Yeah, I was gonna say we may agree to disagree on that, but um, but I'm glad to have you here, Headcase. And it's funny because um, we were talking uh, right before before this movie came out. We we've been talking about it like throughout the past couple of months. You know, 
uh-huh. uh, you saw, you know, the trailer kind of had us pumped. You know, you were making already. You noticed the kind of loving homage to t- Taxi Driver just in that yes. teaser trailer. Uh, yeah. Then, uh, yes. so, then there was uh, the script leaked, if I'm not mistaken, a, a few months back, which you got that to is very true. look at. And All right, I'm gonna go your doubts the... on the film. I'm sorry. Say that. Say, go again, Say that one more time. I was going to say that I was just talking talk about how like the script leak and you got to read the the leak script and then you started having your doubts about the film. Oh yeah, and in fact, I'm going to go into whole detail. When the film was announced, I was not interested. Like I thought it was dumb. Like what's the point of having a Joker origin movie without you know not related to Batman? And then when I heard that it was going to be set in the past and it had to do with uh, Bruce Wayne's parents or or Bruce Wayne's father, I got you know, Batman 89 flashbacks, and that's, you know, him, you know, that's one of the one things I didn't like about Batman 89 was that they changed it so that the Joker killed his parents. But, you know, when the trailer came out, I was very excited. But uh, when the script leaked, I read, uh, I at first I had heard the plot points, like just basic plot points, and I was like, I'm not interested in this. This sounds very generic. And then I read the script, and I absolutely fucking hated it. So, yes, I was going into this movie expecting to not like it. I remember telling uh, my brother, Charlie, who you've met, Mark. Yes, I have. Um, yes, uh, I remember telling him that uh, you had the plan to put me on the podcast, and I said I was going to cut the most – if I if I didn't like it, I, I was going to cut the most epic promo you've ever heard in your life. I remember telling him that before the movie came out. And now that I've seen the movie – in fact, I've seen it twice – I saw it Friday night, right. and when I, I uh, they sent people home from work uh, Saturday, I went ahead and caught a matinee, $5 matinee for the win, and uh, so okay, I saw it a nice. second time, a second time yesterday. Yes, in fact, uh, I think when I came out of my screening yesterday, you were just coming out of yours, too, which I thought yes, was, was funny. Yes. Um, so, actually, before we kind of get into the Joker talk i got a bone to pick with you headcase and i'll tell you why okay. you're gonna love this because we've been we we've been talking about two things you know within the last couple of months you and i we've been talking about uh-huh. this movie and we've yes. been talking about alamo draft house raleigh and how yes. you still haven't been there i still have so, not been there nope so my question to you is why why haven't you gone yet <laughs> well um i thought look at it like this for one i didn't even know Oh, there was an Alamo draft house until I moved here to Charlotte. And, uh, you know, for, for, I'll say this, um, to, to keep a little, um, privacy, I went through a lot of bad experiences at the end of 2017. The last time I was on the show was 2017, yeah, but I went through a lot of bad experiences. Yes, and I went through a lot of bad experiences at the end of 2017. One of those being uh, I lost my car, and I was without a car for uh, over a year. So um, I didn't get a a new car until uh, May of this year. So I've not had reliable transportation until then. As for why I've not gone now that I have a car, I've just – you know, I live three hours away, two and a half hours away. And um, I just haven't had the chance yet. I did have the, you know, we had talked about, you had asked me about uh, going to the clowns only screening of It Chapter 2. And I ended up not being able to do that do that because 
um, I had work that day and I didn't really want to use my vacation time to leave early just to get to the Alamo draft house. Um, but I'm definitely planning to go in the future. Um, if the Irishman ends up playing at the Alamo draft house before it comes out on Netflix, I will absolutely, absolutely go there to watch it. Yes, I am willing to drive three hours to go watch a three and a half hour movie <laughs> and then drive three hours back. You're goddamn right. <laughs> well, for Scorsese, you know, we'll, we'll do a lot for that guy. But <laughs> Exactly. But uh, but I, I'm just messing around with you as far as that's concerned. The thing is, like, um, because it, the Alamo Draft House in Yonkers, New York, where our boy Tommy Dreamer's from, mm-hmm. uh, that's about three hours away, too. And I would not go three hours, you know, for a movie theater unless it was something special. Um, right. But, uh, but I, I'm just saying, like, you know, I'm sure when an Alamo Draft House eventually opens in Chicago, Adolfo won't hesitate to go over there the first weekend. So no, I'm and it's saying. annoying me that they still haven't gotten one here. I mean, it's ridiculous. We're like the third biggest market in the country. They're not – come on, man. It's coming, though. I mean, New York is getting a second one this winter. Uh, the L.A. one just opened, and Joaquin Phoenix crashed the screening yesterday over there. Yes, the I saw I so. saw the clip of that on Twitter. I thought that was amazing. Yes, and those are becoming a lot more common at Alamos, which is which is awesome. Like, Julie Andrews is coming to Brooklyn in a couple of weeks. Um, unfortunately, I'm not going to that because the asking price for that screening was ridiculous. For what? Um, it's uh so she has a new book coming out. So oh. they're screening a uh, Victor Victoria, oh, okay. and then they're gonna do a talk with her like in person after the movie. But two things: number one, just the seat, just the ticket itself was sixty five dollars, right? Wow. And number two, they're making you buy the book with the ticket, and the book's another thirty bucks. That's a hundred dollars right there. Yeah, no. the ticket. Yeah, I Sorry. love Julie Andrews, but Sorry, no, it's not Julie. worth it. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so let's get into, uh, let's get into Joker. So before we, um, kind of get into the meat and potatoes of the film, uh, we're going to try to, we're going to keep the the beginning non-spoiler and then we can go into spoilers, you know, after a certain point. But, um, let me throw it to Adolfo a little bit because I haven't really been, um, I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this because like, I don't want to say controversy because to me it's not a controversy. It's all nonsense. This whole like, you know, uh, uh, I guess the build up to this film and what it's what all what the social media has been saying, what the earlier views from Venice has been saying. Which, by the way, this film won the Golden Line at at, at the Venice Film Festival. Which to me that that's already a wacky a wacky development in and of itself to have like a a, a studio film like this when you know such a quote-unquote snobby film festival prize, which I think that's just, that's pretty amazing in my opinion. But Adolfo, what do you make of all the, like, the the hype and the build-up to this film about how this is supposed to be, you know, a manifesto for for white mass shooters that they can go by? Like, I just think the whole thing is ridiculous. All right, so with anything, media, you know, um there's always going to be media that appeals to people who are kind of on the fringes of society, right? Like um, people that are going to go out and commit a mass shooting or commit like domestic terrorism. There's always going to be media out there that's going to appeal to them. I mean, we've seen this before with uh, the matrix. Uh, We saw it with fight club. We saw it with, um, with taxi driver, which this owes a lot to. So I, 
if you watch the movie, and I and I when I was watching it, I thought that I was thinking about this to myself as well. Could like some fucking incel loser, unfuckable hate nerd, be watching this movie and think to themselves, "Yeah, this is how we. This is how I should do things." Yeah, but that doesn't mean that the movie is, um, that the movie is is uh, glorifying that or or suggesting that, right? It, if you're gonna, if you're of the mindset that's gonna do something like that. You're gonna find it wherever you see it. You know what I mean? It doesn't really matter what the movie says. Like that person's gonna come, gonna go out and commit those kind of acts anyway, right? So I don't think it's really a glorification of it because you don't come out of the movie. There are there is a point where you do sympathize with with the with the joke character, but then there's a point where you kind of stop sympathizing with him, and you're like, oh no, he actually is exactly. He's not someone who we like. At, at first, he was sad, and he was, you know, a, he was a like a lonely, sad figure. But then, at a certain point, you're like, oh no, this this person needs help, and we th- this is not someone who should be uh, who should be glorified in any way. And he wasn't glorified. He was certainly even in his big kind of climactic. And we'll get to this in the spoilers. In his big climactic moment, where he kind of has this big moment in front of everybody, he still comes off like a lunatic he doesn't come off like a yeah kind of moment it's more of like a oh this is this is screwed up you know so um i I see i get what people are saying but i think they're blowing it out of proportion without seeing the movie first you know what i mean like they just heard that like it was some guy who goes on like a killing spree and that the movie's about him but it's not really about that it's about this person's like mental breakdown and and some of it some of it is society to blame and some of it is his own you know demons. So I, I don't think that there's much to that. I think that people are always gonna just like with anything else, like like I said with Taxi Driver or Fight Club, people are, like people are gonna take the wrong message out of it. You know what I mean? Like absolutely. Uh, like, like Fight Club is like the last twenty years specifically is Fight Club is one of my favorite movies, but the last twenty years, anytime I talk to any uh, to people about that movie. Like nine out of ten people completely missed the point of that film. So, <laughs> like, about that before, yeah. so, and I and I think they might. This might be one of those kind of situations. Yeah. Before I throw it to head case, let me just uh, make a couple of points here too, because I've read a lot of opinions the last like five days. Because I'm not on social media much anymore. Um, it's just the whole thing's just very toxic. You know, with everything going on, but yeah, um, kind of, kind of just scrolling through some uh, some reviews, especially last night after I finally saw Joker. I've been reading some of the early reviews. I've been reading some of the other opinions about what's going on, and two things kind of stuck out to me. The first is how a lot of these articles, a lot of these opinions, went up before the movie even came out from people that hadn't even seen the movie. So they were just going off of hearsay and going off of what other people were saying. And that's nonsense to begin with, right? If you're going to talk yeah. about a movie, watch the movie first. Then talk about it, right? It's just, that's, what I don't, I, that's why I hate when these people just kind of go off on a limb and start just, you know, quoting different reviews or different, you know, because everybody has their own perspective. Everybody has their own ways of watching a movie and what they take away from a movie. So you as an individual should do it do yourself the duty of watching it first 
before kind of commenting on it and making an opinion on it. Um, number two, I don't know. Like, I just feel that a lot of these early reviews that commented on that aspect of it about it being like, oh, it's propaganda for incels or propaganda for mass shooters or like a manifesto for how to be a, a, a white mass shooter, you know, or justifying mass, you know, all of, all of that stuff. I've been reading all these like opinions about it and I just keep thinking to myself and I don't know if any of you guys agree with me, but it's like, all right, we just had a movie, Hustlers, which is a great movie, I think. We just had a movie in Hustlers that involved women pretty much ripping off guys, you know, and it's an emp- and it's an empowering film, you know. What, and not, I mean, this is in the trailer also for Hustlers, but at one point, one of these guys ends up going to the hospital. Like, this, this guy was done physical harm, be it unintentional, maybe half unintentional. But the point is, this guy almost died from what these women did, right? But yet, this guy, who happens to just be a, a white, straight male, it seems, is, you know, doing these heinous things, and it's all of a sudden a manifesto for, for, for mass shooters. Like, I feel like if... The Joker in this movie were, were either A, a woman like Harley Quinn, or B, a person of color. These opinions wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even be, wouldn't even be uh, being said out loud right now. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but that's just how, well, how all of these things come off. I, I think, I think if know, it was a, if it was a, a woman or a per, like a person of color, I think there'd be a lot more outrage, honestly, because you know. Especially if it was like a person of color, I think it would be there would be a lot more outrage, and people would be you know people went on the fucking when when Get Out came a uh, a few came out a few years ago. There was a whole thing about that being anti-white people, and I'm like, I remember after I saw it, I'm like, oh dude, this is one of this is a fucking great movie, and anyone who said it was racist towards white people is a fucking idiot. So I don't know, but. As for what I think, you know, I, I'll, I'll say one thing. A lot of this uh, thing about it being an incel propaganda, incel propaganda or an incel power fantasy, um, I heard a lot of that after the first script leaked. And I'll probably be referring to that a lot in this review, and that's probably not really very fair because that script is – not entirely the same as what came uh, as what ended up on the film. It is very accurate, about probably about eighty percent accurate. But you know, um, there is stuff in there in that script that um, plays into that, and I'll get into what when we get into spoiler territory. But yeah, a lot of the of, but it, after seeing the film, does it is it really like a, a a manifesto for mass shooters or incel power fantasy? No, that was one of the things I really did like about it. All the pro- all the hoopla about uh, it being for um, incels was almost completely unfounded, and that was the one thing that I gave a thumbs up to about this film. So I I would just like to point out though, like, do I think that like some fucking like you know. 27-year-old version shitting his own pants in his mother's basement was, like, going to take the wrong message out of this film? Sure. But I it don't think... Happen. But, but, but again, 
taking the wrong message out of a film is a lot different than the filmmakers intentionally putting in a message for those people. You know what right. I mean? So, right. and, and I think that's, I mean, f- like, you know, people thought if you played, you know, back in the day, this is going way back, back in the day, if you played heavy metal b- albums backwards, there were satanic messages in there, right? Like, that, and that was obviously bullshit. Like, there's people, if you, if there are people out there that will believe in something and they, they are looking for it, then they'll find it wherever they, they can. And yeah, there are, there's a lot of imagery in here that would make it easier for them to do that. But that is not, in my opinion, and I, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, the film's goal. I think the film's goal is to demonstrate, is to, is to show a, like, a character study on this character and mm-hmm. all his flaws, all his flaws and his demons and his psychoses out, out, you know, but they don't glorify it. They don't ever say, like, this is right, this is correct, because, like, again, at the end of the film, I was not, as a viewer, like, feeling sympathy for him. You know, I was like, no, he's fucked up. Like, so, again, could, could people take that message out of it? Sure, but that, I don't think, it's clearly not the intention. Absolutely. So, let me, uh, you brought up a great point, Adolfo, and it kind of ties into, I was actually going to go on to the movie right now, but you actually reminded me of an article that I read over the weekend, um, in regards to that, um, I think it was from Box. I forgot what the name of the author was, but um, what it really had to do was how the Joker movie opened up kind of a deeper discussion in more of the cinema circles as far as what constitutes art. Now, I agree with what you said, Adolfo, in that just because this random loser kind of misinterprets the film as something that's a power film for him doesn't mean that that's what the filmmaker intended. I absolutely agree with that point. However, what the article mentions also is that when it comes to something like art, and like we, we, you and I talk about, especially on the Essential Films podcast, like we both see cinema, we see movies, we see film as an art form. The argument can be made, though, according to this article, that when, as an artist, when you release something into the world, like that, to the public, no matter your intention, it's not really yours anymore because once you release it out there, people are going to have their own perspectives. They're going to have their own opinions. They're going to take away different things from it. So you can't really stand by. You can't be Todd Phillips and say, well, that's not what I intended. You know, if people like, you know, start a mass shooting because of my movie, that's not what I wanted anyway. You know, the, and, and Warner Brothers are really quick to put a, the kibosh, especially on that whole that whole thing. saying, you know, the film, the film is not, you know, glorifying violence or any of these acts, which is correct. You know, but when you put art out there as an artist, you no longer control the narrative anymore. It's going to be what people take away from it. Do you agree with that? Yeah, but again, that is that's kind of apples and oranges because so if you're all right, how do I how do I put this without sounding like a total film douchebag? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is true that there that you can regardless of the author's intent there are ways that there are different ways to interpret a film like we did you know a few months back we did 2001 a space odyssey right right and that movie does leave a lot out to interpretation and that well, right. that movie left a lot to interpretation almost on purpose mm-hmm. 
Right. And there are different ways to view that film to, this, uh, outside of what Stanley Kubrick uh, intended. Taxi Driver, another one. People interpret that ending very differently. Like some people think that's a fantasy ending. Some, some people think that it's a legitimate ending and that, that all that really happened. Um, the difference is, is that yes, you can interpret a film differently, but there are still incorrect interpretations. So if I saw, um, uh, if I watched 2001 A Space Odyssey, and I said, and I kept sw- saying, like, you know, full of people that, well, the ending is obviously about Stanley Kubrick's uh, sexual frustrations about his mother. That's <laughs> clearly an incorrect interpretation of it. You know right. what I mean? Like, yes, there is room for interpretation no matter what the filmmaker intended, but there are still incorrect interpretations. That's a good point. You know, that's uh... – I didn't really think of that aspect of it too when reading the article, but you're absolutely right. Like, yes, any any sort of art form, whether it's movies, whether it's music, whether it's paintings, whether it's sculptures, there's room for interpretation. But there's obvious. It's almost like opinions. Like everybody's entitled to an opinion, but there are also wrong opinions, right? So it, it's kind of taking that same train of thought too, which I absolutely agree with. So, um, any thoughts on that headcase before we move on? Um, I definitely see where Aldolfo was coming from, and I, you know, I can agree with that, but at the same time, you know, there are, you know, you, you mentioned how you put, uh, you put a, uh, a piece of work out, the wor- out into the world, and people are going to interpret it no matter, uh, whatever way they want, despite what the creator says, and to take it off film, we'll go into music, just for example, right. and I'll use an obvious example of Eminem, like, you know, he's been using homophobic slurs in his his music since the late 90s, and he can continue to say whatever he wants about, you know, well, uh, I don't mean to use the word faggot in a, a homophobic uh, way. I'm just, you know, going to – I'm just referring – you know, I'm just using it as – whatever way he wants. But if he continues to do that, especially now in, you know, 2018, 2019, which he still does, his last album, you know, from last year had him use the word against uh, another artist who actually is gay, you know, at that point, you can't take what he, he says seriously. You know, he, you know, it, it's, and it, it's, it might not appe- uh, have anything to do with what we're talk- talking about right now, but, Right. I think, you know, I think that very much is something you have to take into consideration. How what the art can definitely be interpreted one way, and even if uh, the creator of that art says, "Oh no, it's not supposed to be interpreted that way," people are going to interpret it whatever the way they want. You know, whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing in society. In society. Nowadays, you know, people are going to interpret shit whatever way they want. Yep, and that's not limited to art. That's also limited to other things, which is a whole other topic for a whole other day. Um, but with that mm-hmm. being said, uh, we're going to move on to Joker, uh, directed by Todd Phillips, um, co-written by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver, uh, based on the DC camera character 
obviously, uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Zazie Beetz, Francis Conroy, and Ooh, our Zazie boy Beetz. Bobby De Niro. Um, so, Adolfo, since you're so good at it, um, I'm going to let you get things started here. Just give us a quick little beat-by-beat beat on uh, on Joker, and then we'll start talking about our thoughts. Uh, it's a little diff- difficult to do it without getting too much into spoilers, so I'm going to be as vague as possible. Yep. Um, <clears throat> Joker is about uh, Arthur Fleck, a kind of uh, sad sack, uh, down on his luck, uh, professional, quote unquote, like in quotes, a uh, clown, uh, who like kind of works for like this like agency that kind of like sends out clowns for different like, you know, birthday parties and uh, going out of business sales and things like that. He's he's a clearly a loser. Um, he lives at home with his mom, who is kind of mentally and physically deteriorating, and. Basically, he's he's clearly got some mental health issues. He he goes to like a, a weekly meeting with a. I'm not sure if she's a psychologist or a social worker, but she's, she's a social clearly worker. A, she's a social in, worker. In, right. the, in the script, it says social worker. Okay, she's like a, like a government person. They 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 allude to the fact that he's had kind of issues in the past. Um, and then one day he kind of um. He has an. In, I don't know. Should the subway incident be considered a spoiler or not? I don't know if I want to get into that. Uh, but basically, something happens to him uh, where it kind of mentally breaks him, and he goes on a much darker and sinister path. Let's leave it there. I think that's that's a that's as good as you can get without getting into spoiler territory. Yeah. So just real quick, um, a, a nice little fun fact: that opening shot when he's um. When he's uh, twirling the sign for the furniture store, that's actually Market Street in Newark. Um, and you can tell because that big that theater that he's standing in front of, which it looks like it, it was, it's a porn theater, it's actually the, the old abandoned like Newark uh, theater, which is right on Market Street. Because I, pa- I pass by that street every day when I go to work. So I, I'm driving by that, that location like every single day on my work commute. So like as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh my god, that's Market Street. That's awesome. And I'm noticing, like, during that whole entire sequence, like, when he's being uh, when he's being chased by the thugs, or he's, I should say he's chasing the thugs for the sign, which is in the trailer, by the way, it's not a spoiler. Um, I'm seeing all the, the little stands that are on market, like the Dr. J's store, um, the um, the little thrift store that's there, too. Like, I'm, I'm just, instead of actually watching him, like, run down the street, I'm actually watching the stores. Because I'm like, oh, my God, that's Dr. J's, that's this, that's that. So I'm kind of, like, marking out inside for, like, my hometown being in the movie. So that it's, it's, it was a pretty cool moment. But, um, so, like I said in my written review, you can't really talk about this movie without talking about Joaquin Phoenix. I read a review for Time Magazine where the reviewer, uh, Stephanie, I keep forgetting her last day, I think it's Stephanie something, but, um, she reviewed the film when it was screened uh, for Venice, and she called it overacting. Like, she really said that, you know... To, to her, it just seemed like uh, he just was like trying too hard and he was doing like way overacting. I didn't get that personally. I thought that I think this is a career performance for Joaquin Phoenix. I think that the fact that pretty much he's in 97% of this movie, as he should be, but it's just like the fact that he's in practically every scene is, you know, he's carrying the movie on his back and the films, you know, lives or dies by him and how... Basically, he does such a marvelous job with the character, with the performance, giving me chills. I even described in my review personally that it almost felt like he was like 
mental. I was mentally gasping for air during a lot of the scenes. Not only because a lot of the scenes were very cringe, but because the, that the ore that he gives of that screen presence, like he's all in on this character. And there are certain scenes that like you're just mentally like you're gasping for air by how, how uncomfortable it is and just how, the craziness that's happening. And that's just a tribute 100% to not only, you know, Todd Phillips' direction, but to just the stellar work of Joaquin Phoenix. And, yeah, they're already talking about, you know, awards for him for this season. 100% deserved. In fact, I'd be shocked if he didn't get at least, at least a nomination for us. He's absolutely going to get a nomination. If he doesn't, it would be a fucking crime. Absolutely. Uh, Uh, Honestly, I think he's, at this point, he's the frontrunner. For the for the for the for the Oscar, I mean, there has to be like, I mean, obviously from like October through February, whenever they have the Oscars, there's gonna be there's a lot that can happen. Another a movie that we haven't heard about yet could all of a sudden like blow up big and be like, oh my god, this actor was amazing, blah blah blah, right? Or Joaquin Phoenix between now and then could do something really stupid in the spotlight and like kill his chances. A lot happened, but right now I think he's the front runner. I agree. I agree. His, I knew going into it because you know that Joaquin Phoenix is a great actor. I knew going into it that he was going to be phenomenal in this role, but I didn't realize just how great he was going to be. He absolutely is, I say again, phenomenal. Um, you feel sympathy towards him. You feel like disgusted towards him during certain parts. There was definitely parts that made me honestly uncomfortable, especially when he was uh, when he laughed. Like there are parts when he starts laughing. There, there, he's laughing to the point where you cannot tell. You can tell that there, he's actually – he has pain on his face. You can see the pain on his face. He's, it's like the halfway point between laughing and crying. And one of the things um, that they get into that they establish – very on is that he has a uh, a neurological disorder that causes him to laugh at a uh, inappropriate time. Kind of like Tourette's is kind of how I right right yes. But the thing is that was that's in the original script as well, and I remember reading that and I thought that is a weird excuse that can't be real. And sure enough, looking it up before the film came out, yeah, that actually movie. is true. There are that is I, I didn't I was shocked. So like when I when I read the script for the first time and knowing that. That was going to be the case. I thought that's got to be made up. That can't be real, but it's real. And I was shocked. And he pulls it off like it was very uncomfortable, especially when he's like when he's on the bus and he starts laughing after the the parent chastises him for trying to make his make her kid laugh. And then he's on when he's on, especially when he's on stage at the comedy club and he starts laughing and it's just uncomfortable to watch. You feel bad for him. But it's, you know, it's it's a train wreck. You don't want to watch, but you can't look away. And I mean that in the best, best, possible, <laughs> yes, yeah. best possible, best possible thing. He does absolutely fantastic with this uh, with this role and with the material he was given. What do you think, Adolfo? Overacting or is this like? No, not at all. I think I, I think whoever said that is. Um. Certainly have a right to their opinion, but I, I completely disagree with it. Um, I don't think it was overacting at all. I think I think he was the role is showy, like it's a showy role. Like you can't underact that role. Like you can't like you can't play that role toned down. It has to be showy. 
So, like, it, to call it overacting is like, what do you want him to do with the role? You know what I mean? That's like, that's a stupid criticism. Like, right. The Joker in 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 his own way, you know, the Joker is a very flashy character, a very over the top character. I remember, uh, you know, whether it's on in in uh, in live action or in animation, you know, you cannot play that role understated. You can't play that role, you know, stoic. You know, you have to play that role with, you know, I guess if you call it overacting, you have to overact in some some way to play that role. You can't just be completely stone faced and stoic and just be. I'm the Joker and I'm serious. And da, 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 da. No, that that you know, if he had done that, that would have been fucking a fucking terrible performance. Yeah, you you have to go, go a little over the top, and and to the to to that point, I don't think he was over the top at all because if you look at his performance, and you look, and I, I'm trying not to get too much into spoilers here, but from the beginning through most of the film. When he's laughing, that kind of uncontrollable laugh, and you hit on it like earlier when you talked about like how it's a condition, you see him sm- like you see the laugh in his mouth, but you don't see it in his eyes. His eyes are telling something different. And then after, when you get to the end of the film, and he's, let's just say, gone full Joker, his eyes have changed at that point. He has actually laughing out of quote unquote happiness or out of joy, whereas before he's not. So like there is a performance there. So it, it's and it's not it's not over the top at all. Like I think the one that actually is kind of chilling, you think you see it in the trailer, but in the film the context is like he's like being told like hey your the, the boss wants to see you and as he's walking down the hall he just lets out this laugh and then he stops real quick. It's like it and it's like this really creepy thing because like you hear him laugh but you like his eyes aren't laughing, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, when people are smiling or laughing, their eyes are also smiling and laughing, if you don't you know what I'm trying to say. But his eyes weren't. So it's a really creepy thing to be able to pull off. So I don't think that was – yeah, that, that I think that reviewer – I'm not sure who, what her name is, but I think she's wrong on this. I mean, I've read a lot of, like, questionable reviews, like, within, within the last 48 hours. One of them uh, – like, literally, like, it was – she, she, this person hated the movie, and I won't say where it's from. I won't say the author right now. I'm sure people can look it up. It's on. It's part of the Rotten Tomato score. But this person hated the movie because it was offensive to midgets. <laughs> just, come on, come on. There's, there's, no, all right, move on. I'm not gonna what, move it's, on. It's no, 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 no. Yeah, let's, let's, let's not, not acknowledge that, please. We're moving on. Yes. Let's talk about better things like the cinematography, which especially during like the last half hour, um, which I won't get into like the scene itself. We'll talk about that in the spoilers, but just that last half hour, how everything is shot. Just some this this movie, not for nothing, has some of the best shots I've seen in the movie all year. Just the cinematography here is great. Um, I think it was Lauren Schur is the cinematographer here. He did an excellent job. You know, Todd Phillips did an excellent job. You know, picking his shots as well, and. Especially that final, one of those final, you know, that that final sequence, I should say, is such a gorgeous, gorgeous shot. And it's one of those things that, in the chaos, like in 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 the chaos of what's happening, yeah, you you're feeling uncomfortable. You're like, oh my god, this is so screwed up. But then just me, just as an looking at it as as you know, as an artist, looking at it as you know, 
someone who likes likes to study film, I'm like, damn, these, these shots are gorgeous. These are some really excellent shots, and you know that's one of the things that like really just stands out to me. Is I mean, and another one is you know the sequence of him you know like dancing on the staircase. Like I mean, that's bit that's in the trailers in the commercials. I mean, that's like the that, that's, a that's great like shot. the show that's like the showy cinematography moment, right? Exactly. But the, but but the sequence at the end is just I'm I'm looking at this you know and so engulfed in the story but then I'm just actually taking I'm, I'm suspending my suspension of disbelief if that makes sense and I'm like holy crap those are some great shots like amazing shots so get, I'd have gave credit credit is due Lauren Schur great job on the cinematography there that's yeah I was about to say we should we should yeah. we should credit Lauren Schur on that um, yeah he he's um yeah the, he he that was like really like we talked a lot of, we talked a lot about Joaquin Phoenix. Lauren sure is the other uh, nominee from this, from this cast and crew that absolutely deserves something because that movie looks beautiful. Well, let me rephrase that movie looks disgusting and how, and it's so beautiful how disgusting <laughs> it looks. Like it, it, like he clearly, they... he clearly got his inspiration from all the seven, like the gritty, 70s movies like based in new york and stuff because it's, the, it's, the it's look we've called we've said it before it's definitely taxi driver it's a callback to how new york looked in that movie so yeah and it, 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 it looks i mean let's face it looks disgusting there like it looked like a gross <laughs> and you know some of that you could also rack up to production design and some of it to like just location but like that movie looks fantastic and how disgusting it looks i think my favorite shot is actually uh, like the big showy ones are like him dancing on the stairs or him at the end on top of the cop car with everyone around them. My, and the other, the other, my two other ones that I really enjoy are right whenever he's waiting for, uh, to be announced onto the, onto the, onto the late night show. And then like you see the curtains open up and he's kind of, yes. you know, silhouetted from behind. That's a great shot. But the also the great shot is right at the beginning after he gets his beat up by those like kids that like stole his sign. Um, it's right before the title, like he's just laying there on the ground, and, and then you get like you kind of slowly pull out as he's like laying there unconscious, and right before you get the title card, that's also a great shot. So it's yes. a great. Um, he, he he deserves an Oscar nomination. Um, and if you look at it, it's funny because if you look at his if you look at his filmography, it, it's not really full of like showy cinematography. I mean, he did he was a cinematographer on like. The Hangover and uh, The Dictator and Godzilla. You know, like these are all like kind of you don't really think about the cinematography in those movies. They're just kind of standard whatever. But like this, this was showy. This was like, look at me. I'm a professional. Look at how good I can make a shot look. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely. And kind of going back to um, just real quick to Joaquin Phoenix for a minute, because I think the thing I love the most about his performance that I that I personally notice is that he really was able to kind of tread that fine line between sympathizing him and being disgusted by him. And it's one, Absolutely. Of, those things, it's one of those things where at the beginning, he wants us to feel bad for him. The, even the movie kind of shapes its story around us feeling bad for him, right? Which is a natural human reaction. We see how he lives. We see his environment. We see his condition. We see what he has to deal with. Yeah, we're going to feel bad for him. That's just a natural human response for another fellow human. We're going to feel bad for him. But then as the story progresses, as that character progresses, we're like, okay, wait a minute. Maybe that sympathy was just a little bit misplaced. 
And well, actually, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna interject here. I actually think that's kind of kind of backwards because yes, it's set up at the 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 beginning that we're supposed to be sympathetic for with for him, but at the same time, there are things that you know notice that uh that just that already creep you out and I'll, and this is a, a definite callback to taxi driver and i'm sure we'll we'll get into that we'll be calling back to that a lot at the beginning when the social worker is going through his his uh his journal um you'll notice like as he's going through the journal there's like clippings of porno mags in there and it's a de- right. you know i think that's a definite callback to at the beginning of taxi driver when we see travis go to the porno theaters <laughs> And before you go on, he he goes to a porno theater, orders popcorn, a Chuckles, and a, and an RC cola, and then goes to the porno theater. Yeah, yes, exactly. You know, so we can already see at the beginning. Yeah, we're supposed to sympathize sympathize with him, but there's definitely something wrong with him. There's definitely, you know, he's he's also a very skeevy character. So yeah, we feel bad for him as you know. The movie progresses and, you know, his mental state deteriorates. But, you know, the more bad shit you're absolutely. But I, I only I, what I was trying to say was just that. Yeah, I think it's sympathy at the beginning, but there's still things in the beginning that tick you up, that uh, make you realize, OK, this guy definitely has his issues or, or there's definitely he's not all good. Exactly. But then, like, as the character progresses and he starts doing, like, even more creepy shit, even more heinous shit, you're like, yeah. okay, yeah, fuck you, guy, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah, uh, yeah. And then, it, and then finally he crosses that line at, at a certain point in the film where it's just – he's just unredeemable. But then, like, you can kind of just kind of sit back and kind of enjoy, like, that manifestation of, like, evil that he becomes kind of just as, as – you know, from a story perspective. And it's just like, ugh, you know – yeah, he's he's full psycho now, you know. And but, it's um, funny because there's a point in the, you know, we're talking earlier about like if this movie is glorifying or anyway, like if this were the movie, like you would expect like a kind of like hack director to make, which is funny because Todd Phillips was not exactly like the most artistic director out there. I right, yeah. he made the Hangover, right? Not like the first Hangover movie, but like let's face it, he was he's not exactly Scorsese as much as he was really pulling on him here um but like the moment that he quote-unquote becomes the joker like like where you like there is totally that there he is he's putting on the face paint and dyeing the green hair and getting the suit on like that would be a much flashier quote-unquote cooler montage in another film but in this film they do that but it's not cool right it's just like well here's this transformation but it's not like what you like. It's not you know Batman suiting up for the first time. It's not you know uh, you know Spider Man putting on the the costume for the first time. You know it, it's not it, that transformation is there of him becoming the character. But it's not it's not the like cool origin story moment that like you would have expected in another origin movie. So it's in other words, it's not glorified. I agree, right? I agree. Like he's he's standing around dancing in his underwear, looking like a goof. You know, well, like, here, here's the thing that I think is interesting. Um, and again, this is going back to the, the original leaked script. Um, the song choice they use in is uh, That's Life by Frank Sinatra. And that's all over. That was 
was all over the movie in the script anyway. But if I uh, reading the script during his transformation, the song that was apparently originally supposed to play was Benny and the Jets by Elton John. And uh, I'm glad they changed it because I don't know how that would have worked. Hmm. Interesting. I could see I'm yeah. thinking of it in my mind and I could see it like with the beat of the song and kind of picture it. But I think what they did here was better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, and then what else? There was, there was something else that I was I was about to talk about too. I'm trying to think before I forget it. Which it looks like. Can I we talk about? Did. Can we talk about the score real quick? Oh my god! Yes. That's, yes. That's one thing I wanted. If there's one thing I wanted to discuss, the fucking score was gorgeous. And I want to credit the composer by name, but it's just she has one of those strange names that I can't pronounce. It's Hilda something which i forgive me for not being able to pronounce it but she won i think at venice she won an award for for the score for this film so um yes i mentioned that in my review as well just when you take lauren Scher's cinematography with her score you get a a, a recipe for absolute terrifying disgust um and it's brilliant like it just it mashes together so well and you got it. I got to give credit to the score, like you said, because it's just it takes what is already disturbing in a beautiful way and it makes it even much. It turns it up, you know, by 10. And it's just. Yes. Really. I am, yeah, really I'm looking at this stuff. name and I'm trying to even I cannot figure it. Hildur Guano Guanadotir. Yeah. That's, that's my that's best guess. Yeah. Um, but she's she's amazing. She was really did a terrific job with the score just a complete um complete perfect meshing between like the cinematography and and the score just great stuff absolutely um and i'm trying to think of something else there was something else i meant to talk bring up and i can't remember what it is um but if you guys have any other points while well, i'm trying to remember like no I, I i think a lot of it we were going to want to talk about during spoilers but one thing is you know the you know we talked a lot about this being um, really heavily influenced by Taxi Driver. I think the other one, I, I, I think that it, it's really more of a, uh, if Taxi Driver and the King of Comedy had a baby and, you know, that was heavily influenced yeah. by Batman and that's what the Joker is. Um, it, it, because there's a lot of King of Comedy in this too. Absolutely. And I knew that go, I knew that as far back as last December. Um, I knew that it was going to be like it took influence from Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. And that's when I started to get interested. Like even when Joaquin Phoenix was announced, I was just like, OK. And when they showed the makeup, I'm like, well, that looks a hell of a lot better than what Jared Leto had. But I'm still not interested. I think but when I started hearing Jared how Leto at this point, like, oh, I, think I, I hope so. I, I well, I don't like, even think he's supposed to. Isn't he going to be in that Birds of Prey movie? Is he? I don't know. I didn't realize he was in there. I didn't know he was going to be I, in it, but it wouldn't I, surprise me if he shows up. Yeah. I mean, it's they're not showing him. They're not advertising him. But I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up at least for a little bit. I mean, they have to – I mean, they acknowledge him, you know. So I can only be surprised if he shows up even for as little as he did – even less than he did, than he did in Suicide Squad. <laughs> well, you're right. He does have – there is a uh, – Untitled Joker Harley Quinn project on his IMDb, uh, so we'll see. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. So, uh, Actually, so I, 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 I was under the impression that was supposed to be a separate 
movie from the Birds of Prey. But I don't know. Like, they announce a whole bunch of shit, and that never comes to pass. So, you know, I take... I. I take everything uh, when if they if you see an untitled project or there's something that was announced, I take a, take it with a grain of salt until they actually so start I, filming. Th- 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 so. Let's bring up a point though, like so the DC. So this has been a like we're 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 recording this episode the Sunday uh, of its week uh, of its initial release. So it's mm-hmm. been in the it's you know it's only been in theaters for a few days and early uh, project. Early word is that it's going to be like a 90-something million dollar opening, the record-breaking opening for the month of October. So it's a huge hit already. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I think, is kind of now cementing DC's uh, strategy now because they tried doing the Marvel thing where everything was connected. And in their impatience to match mm-hmm. Marvel, they screwed it up to the yes. point where like, they tried, they threw the Justice League out too early and then they had – Way too many characters to introduce in one movie instead of building it up over like five or six movies. Um, right. Now, you know, they seem to have fallen back on that. And I don't, so, because now Joker seems to be completely separate from anything they've yes, done before. Correct. Um, yeah, they, they said they said at the outset that that was going to be like a, a one shot or an Elseworld story. Yeah, it, it's not connected to the Jared Leto Joker or the Heath Ledger Joker or the Jack Nicholson Joker. It's a separate guy altogether. Um, so this is a separate story. Um, now the Aquaman and Wonder Woman movies were both very successful, um, but they all they were connected to the Justice League movie. But and going forward, they might not. Nece- they might just go their own ways in their doing their right. own thing. So it's interesting now that like they finally kind of hit upon like instead of trying to tie this universe together like Marvel has, let's just tell individual stories and just worry about that. Right, and, and that's that definitely seems to be the case with uh, uh, the Matt Reeves Batman movie. I don't know if yes. you guys have looked into that. That's supposed to be like a completely separate from. It's not supposed to be the the Justice League Ben Affleck Batman. It's com- it's completely separate. I don't know if it's even starting a new universe or if even that's going to be a one shot. But it's supposed to be completely separate with uh you know that was the one thing I was worried about when I had heard about that because it was supposed to be. I was like, please, we don't need to get a, another origin story for Batman. We don't need another year one inspired. Hey, we got another or origin year... story in this one. <laughs> right. Well, but that's not the it's not the origin story of Batman, though. Like, no, we but we got it. his origin story in this movie. Okay, okay fair enough. At the same yeah. time, I did <laughs> say, saw those I do remember. I will again. say this. I will say this. After Batman versus Superman, I said I never wanted to see. Bruce Wayne's parents get killed on screen again. I but at this time I didn't really, you know, it didn't matter to, at they, this point. They did the fucking pearls too. They they, they always threw. Yep. The, they <laughs> yes, they <laughs> did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure somebody would. I'm sure some comic book nerd would have bitched if they did that and didn't do the pearls. <laughs> so a few points. And then we kind of go into the spoiler talk. Um, the first is I think it's interesting kind of just watching this film. And this is something that I had in the back of my head as I'm going through the film. You take the DC aspects out of it. Just just take out anything related to DC or Batman or Joker. Just take it out of this film for just a quick second. And it still works by itself. This could just be just a character study. Which, I mean, they said it was going to be a character study anyway, but just 
a character study on a psychopath and how a psychopath gets to be a psychopath. And yeah, uh, I, that's the one thing I will say. It's um, you know, if, I mean, I don't know if it would. It's it's definitely you know one person's descent into madness, but I have no idea if it would be as um controversial or as widely talked about in the mainstream if it didn't have that coat of hot intellectual property paint no but i mean my my overall i agree with you but my my overall point on that is i just think it's funny like where we're at in the state of film today when like you get what's called what's being advertised in a way as a quote-unquote comic book film and it's anything right. but a traditional comic book film. And I think that's incredible that we're at that point I, now that you could take a film like this that's on the surface, a comic book film, and it's it's an art film. It really is like one of those like Scorsese-like movies. And, you know, right. It's just, but that, I think you, can also, you can also argue that Logan did the same thing. Oh, no, I agree. Logan absolutely. Set the precedent for it. Yes, you're absolutely right on that. Uh, but Logan was a. I mean, I agree with you. But Logan, because I just watched Logan, it's it, it does do it. It does. Logan works as a not as a quote unquote non comic book movie, but it also does it, like it does it as like a different genre. Like Logan's basically a western, and yes, this is basically that. like what genre would this be? This is basically like a drama. It's a drama. Like what whatever you consider taxi driver to be i guess a drama but ta- that's, drama I, that's, seems... that's how I, I i see taxi driver was but it just seems so it doesn't seem like drama is enough of a word for it you know what i mean like right, right. i got you but drama is basically yeah i mean drama is the, the best word that could come up with yeah tragedy maybe i don't know oh i'll get into that one in spoiler talk when we get uh that that's a very big word i use in my review but um so I just think that's that's funny, like where we're at right now when it comes to that film, just in the just just the state of Hollywood. That this this was kind of a risk for Warner Brothers, it seems like, and you know now this I don't is know supposed if it was, to be though, because the Joker is such a iconic pop culture figure that I think that no even if they would have made a shit movie, I think this would have made money. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it was, it was, so think it was like it was it was box office bulletproof or whatever the phrase is. I like, think so. Like, I, no I now what. I think I think that after the first week, if it was a shitty movie, after the first week it would have you know, buzz would have died down and then would have gone down the toilet. But I think like it would have made money. But I think because it's a quality film and they're doing something different with it and audiences are receptive to that, it's it's adding to its momentum. But I think the movie would have made money regardless because Joker is kind of a beloved character. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, when you think of comic book villains, like you, that's probably the most famous comic book villain is the Mm -hmm. Joker. I mean, you could maybe make it now because it's made $2 billion. You can maybe make an argument for Thanos, but I think Joker is, has, has, has had that longevity has had like the decades in like the, the pop culture kind of, uh, vocabulary you know what i mean like that he's like almost as popular as batman like he like you can't you almost can't think of batman without the joker so like i don't think any other comic book villain really matches that so he's kind of a beloved character so i don't think 
I, I do think the movie would have. I don't think it would have been. It was as much of a risk as you think. Now, the direction they took it maybe was a little risky, but right. in general, I think that they would have made money regardless. Yeah, uh, I, I think. Yeah, if if anything was risky, it was definitely the ter- uh, the direction, because you know, uh, you could have made uh, a movie like this and made it all cartoony and made it a lot more sympathetic towards the main character but you know i definitely think uh it panned out i mean it it worked out for them in the end the way they the way they uh the direction they did choose i mean todd phillips has even said that all they really pulled from the comics was just based the basic origin story as told in the killing joke uh, yeah so i so other than that they pretty much tried to just do their own thing with it with the character with the story so well, I remember I remember reading in the 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 comments of the second trailer on, on YouTube when they sh- see that he goes on the the talk show a lot of people was like oh he's going to kill everybody in the room just like in the dark night returns yeah, at that point I had already I, at that point I had already read the script and I was like nope y'all are are kind of off on that but not <laughs> too of off, far but off it's, but not that far off not that far off, but you know, still. <laughs> right. Um, but I guess my whole point is is that, you know, they threw in like the little Easter eggs for, you know, for the comic book fans, which we'll get into in the spoilers. Um mm-hmm. but I kinda just like that they they took the basic origin story, which again, if you know the Joker, at least you know, his classic portrayal, like you don't really know his origin story. So <laughs> Um, and we'll talk more about that in the spoilers too, because I want to talk about, you know, kind of how they kind of mess with your head when it came to that aspect of it. Um, another thing too, I want to bring up real quick is I just, I, this, this is me coming off as very naive. I feel like, and I apologize for that, but the fact that in 2019, we have to warn people that this is not a kid's movie with, yeah. if it has, even though it has a big R on the poster, it's just, I think, I don't know. I just feel like it, it's it's silly. Well, I mean, I, I that was the one thing that really made me laugh. When I saw it the second time, I've shown you the picture, Mark, and uh, yes. I put it up on Facebook today. They had a big, like, parental uh, advisory warning put on the poster outside, and I'll read it to you word for word parental warning and in parentheses this is not a joke joker is rated r and for good reason there is a lot of very very rough language brutal violence and overall bad vibes it's a gritty dark and realistic taxi driver-esque depiction of one man's descent into madness it's not for kids and they won't like it anyway in parentheses there's no batman they have to warn people that this it, it's funny to me, you know. No, but and, but, I, I, but here's how far they take it. This is this is what I'm talking about. So when I when I get up for work in the mornings, sometimes I'll throw on the television. I'll put on like some a news program, like with a Good Morning America or or whatever, right? So uh-huh. I think it was on Wednesday, like Good Morning America actually devoted like a good five minutes to just a report saying don't take your kids to see Joker. Like, and I'm sitting there like, are you kidding me right now with this? Like, who? I don't. It's like I'm trying to put into words like my just my mind numbingness as, as I'm watching this report. I'm like, 
who would think this was a, a movie for kids though just on the trailer like I, no the, i gotta and, be on but here's the thing if i owned the movie theater if i was the manager of a movie theater i would absolutely put that sign up because there are stupid parents <laughs> everywhere and there are people that like is you, true. like all of us here on the, on this podcast are in tune with movie culture, with comic book culture, with with uh, pop culture, things like that. But there are parents that do not that are not in tune with this. They just know, oh, Joker, that's Batman. I'm gonna take my kid to this. Like, and you know, there are, I mean, and the person behind the ticket counter is like some 17 year old kid that doesn't really give a shit. They're just gonna be like, they're gonna see a parent and their kid. They're gonna be like, all right, to you know. Twenty dollars. Here's your tickets. Blah blah blah. Like you know, like they're not gonna like. So if I was on that movie theater, I absolutely would put that up. So I wouldn't have to hear the bitching, stupid parents that <laughs> like come come asking me for a refund. Like I would just put that up and put it on Front Street and be like, "Don't bother me because I'm warning you now that this is not for kids." Like I know you like parents should absolutely look at a movie's rating before. You know, they they let their children see something. As a parent myself, now again, I'm in tune with movie culture, but as a parent myself, I I, I know what my kids are at a certain age should watch and what they shouldn't watch. So, like, but there are parents that don't really care. They just see them a screen as a basically a babysitter. So yeah. they 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 just they just want to throw their kids and hear them shut up for two hours. So I you can't control the fact that there are stupid people out there. So you may as well do something to at least cover your own ass so that you Yeah, limit I was about to say do something that like, covers yeah. your bases. Yeah. yeah. I mean and I agree with everything you guys just said. It's just I still it's it's I just can't believe that in twenty nineteen we still have you to, shouldn't have to do we it? shouldn't have to. But you know, I I I've seen I've seen other people comment on it when uh uh I put up um I sent the picture to to Big D as well, and he said it was you know it has to do with the pussification of society. And <laughs> of when course. I put the picture, <laughs> and when I put it up, you know, when I put it up on uh, Facebook, I had somebody else comment, uh, someone else I'm friends with, and they just commented, uh, "Soft." I guess people are soft nowadays. Yeah, you know, and it's just. It's they're right, but at the same time they're wrong. I I don't know. It's it's you shouldn't have to um make these kinds of like parental advisories, but you know, like you said, there's a lot of stupid fucking people and a lot of stupid fucking parents, and you know that aren't gonna listen unless you pretty much tell them straight up like this is not for kids. Even though the R rating should already say should already tell them and give them. The the uh, the indication that this is not for children, you know, people are still going to be stupid. <laughs> well, I'm going to bring up Big D during the spoiler portion of this review because he did bring up a good point in his review that I do want to actually shed a little bit of light on. That I actually did uh -huh. put in my written review, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But the last point I want to make before we move on to that is um, kind of just the overall framing of the story. And I mentioned this also in my written review. So there's there's been some of the reviews I've been reading over the past 48 hours. One of the criticisms that have been lobbied towards the film is how it kind of tries to throw the blame away from 
Joker or Arthur Fleck, we'll just call him by his name, Arthur Fleck, as to why he became the way he did. Like, he's kind of trying to deflect that, oh, he didn't become that way on his own. Society made him that way, which is one of yeah, the things that's... that's... Sorry. That... Thing... Sorry, go ahead. That, that's okay. It's just one of the things that is kind of adding to the whole it's incel propaganda thing, right? Yeah, but... the whole we, we live in a society meme. And I'm going to get into that in a little when we get into spoilers because there's something I noticed when I read the script that they possibly changed because of that meme and I remember realizing that and it pissed me off and I'll get into that when we uh, when we get into spoilers I, I don't know uh, how do I say this without spoiling anything I don't I, first of all I think the whole society made him do it is a bullshit argument um, I, I don't think that's what the movie is saying and at least that's not what I think it's not what I feel the movie like is saying, and I think it's fairly clear, is that he had this inside of him all the time. Mm-hmm. This was there. Where the society part comes in is that because of his lack of, uh, because of how society in general treats people people like him and they don't consider them important. Um, they cut off access to things like mental health care programs. And they actually have a whole scene about that in the movie that could have gotten him the help to maybe prevent this. But it's not that society did this to him because he was always like this. Like that, that's true. They say at the beginning of the film, when he asked the social worker to increase, he's always been like this and that was probably going to happen eventually because they say it they say on the in the uh you know the social worker tells him you are you're on seven seven different medications he has to increase his dosage he's like you're on seven different medications surely they must be doing something and they obviously i mean i guess they are he just he just but he thinks they aren't because as soon as he goes off those medications is when he goes fucking nuts Right. right. So, but and, again, I mean, what, that's more spoiler another, territory. And, and then before we get to spoiler territory, there's also, and I'm gonna leave it at this before we, because uh, before we jump into it, there's also the question of unreliable narration here. So, yep. mm-hmm. I don't want to go into it too much because it goes into spoilers, but that's also anything where you could see society being the problem could also be his interpretation of it. And Thank I'll just leave it at that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Because that's going to be my overall point in this. It's that, I mean, just based on kind of what you see in the film, I understand why people would make that argument that the film is trying to just kind of toss the blame. But in the end, two things. Number one, like you just said, Adolfo, it's, he's an unreliable narrator, so we're seeing everything from his perspective, and the film try to really tries to nail that point across during certain sequences, which we'll talk about in a few during spoilers. And then number two, in the end, he's the one that does the horrible things. I thought these people were supposed to be about personal responsibility, so now all of a sudden, oh, society made him that way, so it's it's society's fault. No, he fucking did these things. In the end, it's his, he, he's responsible for his actions, and the film makes that abundantly clear. So for them to try to now 
deflect and say, oh, well, the film's saying that it's not his fault. Yes, it is. It's 100% saying that it's fault. So to interpret it otherwise, it's like you were saying earlier, that's a wrong interpretation. And there's a clear, there are at least two moments that are like, where he does something that's like, that's wrong and horrible, no matter how sick you are. Um, And I'm just going to leave it there. Right. Yeah. So to kind of wrap up this portion of, of the um, of the review, though, let's kind of just give our overall, do we recommend it? I 100% recommend this film, especially if you're, you don't even have to be a comic book fan or know what who the Joker is, which I, I doubt anybody, any of you don't know who the Joker is, but, but that's the beauty of this film. You don't really have to know Batman mythology to just enjoy the film. Like, if you enjoy films like Taxi Driver, The King of Comedy, you know, dramas like that, character studies like that, Serpico, I'll even throw in there, um, just, you know, Movies that are like just dramas, psychological thrillers, character studies—you're gonna get a kick out of out of Joker. Um, so I I 100% recommend it on that front. I agree. Um, I honestly, I had never been when I saw. That's why I saw it a second time because when I came out of the film the first time, I was so conflicted because there were things I liked about it and things I didn't like, and you know I really wasn't sure. I had a long conversation with with a uh, big D about this. And he told me because I, re- because I read that leaked script, I tricked my brain is literally what he told me. I psyched myself out and I thought I was going to absolutely hate this movie. And he was a hundred percent right. Uh, based on what I read in the script and how much I hated that script, I expected to hate this movie. And I guess I felt conflicted when I didn't hate it. So, but yes, you're absolutely, <laughs> I would definitely agree in the sense when, when I saw it a second time yesterday, um, I came out with a lot more clarification. I do have issues with the film. I don't think it's 100% perfect. I don't think it's a complete masterpiece. But on the on the basis level of just like, is it a good film? Yes, I think it's just like you said, Mark. It's uh, If you like character studies, you will definitely be invested in this film. Um, I think that's – all I'll say right now, I definitely would recommend it. Uh, I would recommend it as well. I, I think it's one of the better films of the year. Um, I think especially for uh, Joaquin Phoenix's performance and the cinematography, just go for that alone. Um, but I would, uh, I would say like, I don't want to use the word like masterpiece because it's just that for a movie that's just that new and you just saw it, you only saw it once. It's a little early to, to make that kind of claim. Um, I'd have right. to watch it a few more times to like give it that kind of glowing review. I will say that it is, again, one of the better films of the year. Um, but I think the one thing that kind of makes me hedge a little bit on it, and I don't have a problem with the script or anything, um, but what he- gives me a little bit to hedge on it is that because the um, the homages or or the the influence of movies like taxi driver and king of comedy are so obvious it's almost like it's almost like um how do i put this it's almost like not original enough you know what i mean because it's that's so is it would you use the words with uh i don't want would you use the words by the numbers I don't know if I'd buy the numbers, but it just seems so 
in love with those movies, and they're great movies, that it fails to, like, give itself its own identity because its identity is so wrapped up in those other movies. Yeah, I I would actually agree with that. If you're going to, like, kind of copy something, those are great movies to copy. But it's because, like, the homage is so blatant, I just kept thinking of those movies during that movie. You know what I mean? But again, it's absolutely a wonderful performance by by Hawking Phoenix and, uh, like, just an amazing, like, transformation. So it's absolutely one of the better films of the year. It's just because it's so effective in reminding me of those other films, like, I can't give it points for originality. I, I, I would definitely, that's, if there's anything I had a problem with, uh, I would agree. Like, when I first saw it, it wasn't the fact, it, I felt empty coming out of it, because I didn't, it, it, as I said I was conflicted, but I really had no strong feelings either way. I was very, I felt empty, and I think that's probably why, is because you, you, the, the, uh, like you said, the homages to Taxi Driver and King of Comedy are so obvious, and you know you would have to be downright stupid to not notice it. If you, you know, I mean, if you know, if you're familiar with those films, if you still couldn't, if you had seen those films before and did not notice the the influence in this film, you're either you know a simpleton or I don't know what to tell you. But yeah, I I would agree. That was probably another issue I had with it, even though I still recommend it. So real quick, um, a little fun fact here. Both Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy are sold out on Amazon. (laughs) That's pretty timely. Of course. (laughs) Both give you the temporarily out of stock message. I'm like, holy crap. Are people just now discovering it because of this movie? I mean, I'm glad. I would absolutely believe that. And I, I watched both of those films leading up to this movie. I watched Taxi Driver, and then right afterwards, I listened to um, the podcast the three of us did about it. And uh, I the first time I was had listened to Was that the last time you were on? Huh? Was that the last time you were on? No, the last time I was on was the Spider-Man movie. Did we do – when did we do that? Spider-Man that was like – yeah, that was, oh, okay. coming was the last time we did. Because uh, I was going to say, that's time funny I... if the last time you were on was when we did Taxi Driver, then you're on for this one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I hit up Mark after I had thought about it. And I'm like, I'd like to be on um, for if you if I'd like I told I hit up Mark. I said, if you don't mind, I'd love to be on Force Perspective to talk about Joker. And he's like, I've already thought about it. We've already discussed it. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was already in, in the works once we started talking about it as much as we did. I mean, so. hey, if this movie leads people who haven't seen Taxi Driver or haven't seen King of Comedy to watch those movies, then, hey, that's that's great. Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely, uh, 100% I recommend just not a – it's not a five-star movie. It's like a four-star movie. Right. I, I can understand that, and I would probably agree with that. So, having said that, um, I'm going to give people who haven't seen the movie a chance to kind of click off, go watch the movie, and we're about to talk spoilers in this next discussion, so uh, just give you a couple seconds there. Okay, I hope you logged off by now, because we are now going into spoilers for Joker. 
All um, right. One thing I want to talk about to kind of get this discussion started is we mentioned Taxi Driver just now. Um, and I want to mention one thing that I noticed in one of the reviews that I read. So the whole subplot with the girl in the apartment, right? Mm-hmm. So somebody – Zazie Beats, who I'm in love with. Zazie Beats, yes. She was, uh, in, De- she was Deadpool, right? She yeah, Deadpool. she was in Deadpool. I, I, I've okay. been I've been watching her ever since uh, Deadpool, and I'm just oof, yes, very attractive. <laughs> yeah, beats, bro. So, somebody pointing out the similarity between this subplot and then what happened with Betsy in Taxi Driver, right? Which is an, it's an interesting comparison. However, this is where I start getting to this is, uh, at this point is in the review where I'm like, okay, now you're gonna start putting your own wokeness in it. So, well. Here's the well, thing well, about well, that. Well, well let, okay. let, let, me, let me finish the point, and then I'll let you okay. let you go. So okay. the whole point of her bringing that up is that, you know, well, yeah, that's that's a beat taken from Taxi Driver. But in this one, like, you don't really get to know Zazie Beats' character. She's kind of just there. She's basically, you know, being objectified. She's just there as an obsession for Arthur Fleck, Joaquin Phoenix. And you don't really get to know the character, whereas at least in Taxi Driver – you did get to know Betsy a little bit. You even had, you know, when they went on the date to the Porto Theater, which is one of my favorite scenes because of how awkward it is. But right. uh, but at least, you know, yes, and he ordered some chuckles to go with that. But at least in Taxi Driver, you know, according to this review, you got to know the character of Betsy, whereas here she's just straight up being objectified. It's like, oh, okay, here yeah. we go. Like, but um, I don't really – I don't think I agree with that, even though, yeah, she's not in it as much as, you know, she could have been. But – that was that was deliberate, but we'll get into why that's deliberate in another point. But what do you right. think about that story beat? Um, I will say, I mean, uh, you mean what do you th- what I think about that comparison, or just in general yeah, about the film? The comparison, yeah. Um, it, it, it is interesting. It's an interesting comparison, but they serve different points in the in yeah. the film. Yeah. They, they, they serve different purposes. Um, I mean, I guess maybe not because I guess they both kind of serve the point to show that he's not. It, that in both situations he's not mentally all there um but in this one i don't know i, I do know that one thing when I, when I was watching the film that like the second like he asked her out and she said yeah or whatever um like i was like no there's something off here yeah, like i yes, i, I immediately so. i immediately was like no this because we already yeah i mean the guy makes the, like, i don't buy that shit she's yeah, like she don't, like we it's already, we already it's a weird that. sorry i'm sorry no, it's well, a weird thing cuz you know it's like she comes to his door is like you were following me today and she makes the joke oh i wish i w- i thought you were going to come in and rob the place and he's like and he seriously said oh i have a gun i can come by tomorrow and she laughs you know something's up. Like if if you know anyone makes a joke about you know robbing the place and then it's like, oh yeah, I've got a gun, I can do it. You know that's cause for alarm. And you when bro, she reacts, bro, she already threw me off before that when just the fact that she came over to him and so nonchalantly said, "You were following me today, weren't you?" Right. Yeah, In real also, life, that would not happen. She would be also like, like, "Were you following me?" <laughs> But also, like, you already established earlier in the film that he has, like, these tendencies to, like, fantasize. And he fantasizes about, like, getting pulled out of the audience on the, uh, uh, what is his name, Murray Hamilton? I Murray, think Murray Franklin. Murray Franklin. Murray Franklin show. The Robert De Niro show. Yeah. Uh, when, you, like, he gets pulled out of the audience and, like, gets a hug from Robert De Niro and, like, the, you know, the, this whole, like, 
touching moment. Like you see that it's like a, a fantasy, um, but it's played like, you know, it's, it's, how do I put it? It's played for, not necessarily for reality, but it's, there's nothing like within that fantasy, it's very realistic. Right. So yeah. like whenever you see it, when she comes over and I was like, there's something off here. And then every interaction they have together after that, I was like, this isn't, I know this isn't happening. This is him. This is like a psychotic, uh, a psychotic illusion because he is so like, I don't want to say smooth, but he's certainly not as awkward as he is at any other point in the movie whenever he's with her. And when he's with her, he's very normal and, and like pretty like, you know, like pretty cool character. Right. So yeah, the fact that co- he doesn't come off as a creep exactly. or he doesn't come off of somebody as somebody that has a, a mental illness. Right. So like that in and of itself, I was like, no, there's something something's way off here. And so then whenever they finally do the reveal, I'm like, yeah, that, that seems that 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 makes sense. Um, so like I knew that like that I, I don't like to point out hey I knew this was right the whole time because I'm not trying to do that but like it just that I don't know if that was a failure in the filmmaking or not um, because I thought no it was obvious, I think or if it was intentionally obvious like um, I think it was intentionally obvious. What I think is interesting is and I'm gonna get into the point about the the leaked script and i you know i'm sure y'all are getting tired of me referring back to that um in the leaked script that was not the case at all like uh uh, they they have another character in the film that is revealed to not be real and as as a uh uh uh, a byproduct of uh arthur's psychotic delusions but it's a it's a house cat that lives with him and i think the fact they changed that to uh Sophie, the character that Zazie Beats plays, was a very interesting choice because in the script, um, they actually what in the script it it comes off as Sophie's trying to be polite to Arthur and he mistakes it as actual affection. And in the script that I have, there's at one point he comes to her house and she's having sex with another dude and you know freaks them out and he runs out and in another scene he 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 tries to like reconcile with her like we can make this work and she's like what do you think this is and you know she admits i was just being polite uh i, I have a boyfriend and uh, arthur says that says to his to her daughter your mother's a whore she's seen two women at once he's she's seen two men at once and that, i think that is a lot of the uh the where the incel power fantasy prop uh propaganda comes from just from the leaked script and I think knowing that and realize, you know, I think that was one thing that made me really, re- I really didn't wanted to see that going into the film. And the fact that they changed it and just made um, Sophie's interactions with him a uh, a byproduct of his delusions was a lot more interesting to me. And whether or not it was obvious, um, it probably was. You know, you know, it it was pretty easy to pick up on, but you know. I think it was still an interesting choice, and I'm certainly glad they didn't use uh, the fucking, you know, him yeah, freaking scr- out because she, yeah, she, she just had a boyfriend or whatever. Yeah, I think that's the way the way you described that doesn't sound as interesting as what they ended up doing because the reveal in the in this film is that like he comes into her apartment and then she's freaked out that this random dude is in her apartment. Yeah, and it's like and, and she's like clearly scared that this guy who is probably crazy 
and soaking wet from the rain is just sitting there on her couch and just mumbling to himself. That is much more effective than like him like walking in on them having sex. Like that's that's whatever. Yeah. Like this is this is actually kind of scary. Like I was legitimately afraid for that character at that moment. I was like, I wonder if like he yeah, do you know. Because, she knows like, something is she knows something is off from him at the beginning when she does the whole when she sees him in the elevator and she does the gun to the head motion and just as a joke like. And then when they get out, he's like, "Hey!" She turns around and he does it a lot more realistically, like. And you can tell by then, like, okay, she's very freaked out by him. So yeah. you knew something was up then, you know, when all of a sudden she starts hanging around him or whatever. I gotta ask, do you guys? I think it's pretty obvious. Like, it's implied that he he kills her. Like it's not shown, but it's obviously implied. Um, do you guys think he killed her? Um, I don't think he kills her. I don't. Yeah. I think he leaves her be. I. Well, sorry, the reason I say that is because afterwards he's just laughing maniacally, and then you hear the police sirens. So I think it's a lot. Uh, it's very heavily implied that he just like he kills her, and possibly her daughter as well. You know, at that point he's already off his meds. You know, he's you already. Know, I'd have to watch it again to be honest, yeah. to, to, and watch that scene again. Well, that's the thing when he does right before like when he's still in the house he does the gun motion again to his head and she's obviously scared you know and there are other, I've read in like in other on on Reddit and other leaked places that there's another version of the script where he chokes her to death I've never seen that and that's not in the script that I have um, if that's out there I've not seen it. But I think it's very heavily implied that he kills her. So you saw it twice, so I don't remember. Was this before or yeah. after he kills his mother? Um, this is before. Actually, he kills yeah. his mother right after. Because I think his when he kills his mother, that's the turning point for me. Yeah. Like, like at this point where he's in the where he's in a room, that's like the scary moment. But the, like when he kills his mother, it's just like, all right, you're you're irredeemable from this point forward. Well, but, I think learning the. Uh, what he learns about his mom and him and, and how uh, uh, he was abused by her mom's boyfriend. They they say in the you know they 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 just say physical abuse, but they, in the script they actually they actually uh, say it's sexual abuse as well. But they don't mention that in the movie. But um, knowing that, I think at that point he had gone off the deep end. So you know, at that I think first place he goes is the sophie's place and then he kills his mom i i you know i th- i think by that point he'd already been knowing what learning what he learned like just pushed him over the edge and you know i think it, it might have been a lot more obvious that he killed her if that scene was after he kills his mom that's why it's it's so it's up to interpretation but i think it's definitely heavily it's hev- definitely heavily implied because of the police sirens uh, in the next scene, the next cut, when he's just laughing by himself in his room, you know. But I think it's, I think it's a definite possibility. Interesting. Oh, now, now, now that you're saying that, like, I'm, I'm probably gonna see it again in a couple of weeks when I have a, when I have some free time. I'm gonna look at that again because you definitely you're onto do. something there. You're onto something there. And and speaking of, um. You know, we talked about there being a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, unreliable narrator here. Not even though he doesn't really narrate, 
Um, it, it, they show a lot of things from his point of view. Um, there's a lot of conjecture or opinion out there about what is real and what isn't real in this film. Right. Obviously, the Zazie Beat storyline isn't real, uh, or at least yes. the the romantic uh, element of it. That's pretty obvious. Uh, it's blatantly, yes. you know, they blatantly say this isn't real. But there are other moments you have to like wonder, like, is this like? And I, this is where I have to watch it again to like figure out because of the fact that you're seeing it from his point of view and his point of view is distorted. How much of it is real? Like a lot of people think that after the ambulance is the cop car and he like is taken out by the the clowns, that's like the going forward from that point is like the taxi driver moment. Like at the end of taxi driver, after he kills the pimp and everything, he has the big bloody showdown. It like skips forward and he's like, he's fine. And he like, he's talking to all his cabbie buddies and he like, you know, has the, uh, you know, meets up with, uh, uh, what's her name? Sybil Shepherd. And, yeah. and, and then a lot of people think that that segment is a fantasy segment. So people well, think I, that, like, it's funny. Cause a lot of, a lot of people think the whole movie is in his head. Because, yeah, because, yeah, so, you know, well, at that's the, be- the thing. So, like, could, at the could beginning, the whole thing be said? Well, like- here's the thing. At the beginning, when they talk about the last time, when he's talking to the social worker very early on in the movie, and, and they mention the last time he was in the hospital, and he's like, do you remember why you were put in the hospital? And you, they show the white room, and he's in the white uh, jumpsuit, and he's banging his head against the window, and that's basically the exact same place he is at the very end of the movie with the wet hair and the uh, you don't that's the thing you don't see his face if you if they showed his face and it had the five o'clock shadow that he does at the very end of the movie i think it would be a lot more you know obvious that the whole thing was in his head but because you can't see his face when he's banging his head against the 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 window of the door in the hospital that when they mention how he went why he was in the hospital it's very I don't think it was all in his head. Like I don't believe that. I don't it's, think I don't think the whole movie took place in his head. But I see the arguments for it. Right? Yeah, that's like, what I, that's what I was saying. That's what I was it, saying. And, and but like, so I see the arguments for that. I see the arguments for like everything after he gets pulled out of the cop car at the end being all in his head, um, right. because there are people who think that like <laughs> any time where he is experiencing anything close to joy or happiness. It's clearly fake. Like the moment, you know, at the beginning with Murray, with I'm just gonna call him Robert De Niro, with Robert De Niro, where he gets the hug from Robert De Niro, that was obviously fake. The Zazzy Beat storyline was fake, and then him at the end getting like all the, you know, he's standing in front of all these other clowns, being like almost worshipped. Like well, that's kind of a moment of happiness for him. So is that fake? And then there's right. someone, someone like went into this deep dive because clearly saw it more more times than I am than I am. <laughs> um, where they're like, well, any time that he's in a moment where he's bathed in sunlight, that those are the those are the fantasy elements. I'm like, what are you talking about? I need to watch this again now because what moments like I can think of like the moment where he's like coming down the stairs, and I can think yeah, of the that's... moment at the very end where he's like running where he's like in the hallway and like and his feet are living the bloody footprints. But then like. But then they mentioned like other moments that I can't think of right now. And then our buddy Joe Randazzo emailed me and he's like, I think that uh, any time that there was like newsworthy events that he himself like incorporated himself into, those were in his head, but everything else wasn't. So like he like in other words, Joe was saying like like he imagines himself as the as the clown killer. He imagines himself 
shooting Robert De Niro on the talk show. You know, he imagined himself starting this social uprising. Though, like, but like the the co- the clown killer happened, but it wasn't him. The social uprising happened, but it wasn't him. You know what one I mean? One thing so, I like, thought was one thing I thought was interesting. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, I'd, I'd have to see it again because I, I don't really – aside from when he's coming down the <laughs> stairs and the the uh, the end and the like the very last shot when, he, when you mentioned the bloody footprints, I can't think of any other times that he was bathed in sunlight. Um, one thing I thought was interesting was when leading up to the, the talk show appearance, it made it very obvious that his plan was that he was going to shoot himself on TV. I don't know – like – when right. did it? When did the the modus operandi change for him? Was, was it just during the conversation on on the show that he just decided I'm going to kill you know Robert De Niro instead? Or I don't, I don't know. I thought that was rather interesting. And you know, there's a lot of things that call into question what's going on. It's like you said, um, the whole situation with uh, the whole apparent affair between. Arthur's mother and uh, uh, Thomas Wayne. That's another interesting thing because I I didn't even notice it until I saw it a second time when he's putting on the makeup. You know, it's obvious like, oh, your mom's delusional. And then when he's putting on the makeup, he has he has the picture of his mom in his hand. And on the back, it just says, love your smile, T.W. Like, you don't it's, it's another thing that calls you into question. Was his mom really, you know, uh psych uh crazy or did thomas wayne just have that much power and money that he you know had her put away and fake the adoption papers who knows i I mean i don't think that's the case but it's definitely something that could be called into question i think but i think yeah just the whole thing is why the movie works because like one of the things i mentioned in my review is that this movie throws a lot of red herrings at you. It really and does. I think that's why it works because not only does it kind of keep you on your toes, not only could you like really literally interpret it the way you want to. It's funny that we're saying that now because of you know what we were talking about earlier. Like it literally yeah. wants you to interpret it, it, come up with your own storyline with what's happening. Like is everything fake? Is some of it fake? Is all of it real? Like that's basically going to be left up to us, the viewer. To decide that, we're basically creating our own headcanon, which is which is interesting. It's kind of like one of those like build uh, choose your own adventure books. Like you could literally say, okay, maybe this was real, but this wasn't. Maybe this wasn't real, but this was. Or maybe all of it's right. real. Maybe all of it's fake. Right. So it increases the film's watchability that way. Like you, you're about to go pay to see it more times than Denny Louis did when he went to see The Force Awakens. I think he went to see it like seven <laughs> times. <laughs> you're about to go pay to see this Joker movie like more times than he saw Force Awakens. But, um, but that's what's great about it, though. It's like it is kind of like a choose your own adventure book where you, you're basically creating the story in your head, which is basically what. Arthur Fleck is doing the entire time, you know, it's that, that's, that, that's, so I, I think, I love that, you know, with, with the Thomas Wayne thing, I think it's a mixture of both. I think that she was always crazy mm-hmm. and he did have an affair with her, or at least like a one night stand and then realized she was crazy and then took advantage of that to like, just write her out of his life. What I thought was interesting was the point that they made that uh, um, 
what leading up to the film, reading that Thomas Wayne was going to be less sympathetic than he was in uh, in other adaptations, and it, with even comparisons to uh, Donald Trump, which would have made the original casting of uh, Alec Baldwin all the more ironic. You know, he was originally cast to play Thomas Wayne and had to drop out. Yeah, I do remember hearing that. Yeah, I heard about that. But oh, um, and uh, what I oh, not to cut you off real quick, but I kind of just no, want to throw no, you're fine. There. What I want to throw out there very quickly was I love how they kind of turned Thomas Wayne into like a, one of those one percenters. I mean, let's not be let's not kid around. Bruce Wayne is a one percenter, but I like how they kind of yeah. threw him out there as a one percenter. That's like a dick, you know. That's yeah, like, it was know, very, oh, it was very you know, much. If, if you're not you successful, know, like that's your own fault, you know. Like, why can't you make something of yourself like me? Which, of course, being with how I, you know, I see things politically, that's a bunch of bullshit. But, you know, but I love how they kind of made him, like, into a dick. Like, that's, like, you never really see Thomas Wayne in that light. And the fact that they kind of went with that, like, direction, I thought was, like, was unique. It's certainly much more interesting because in every iteration of, of Batman that we've seen, like, Thomas Wayne has always been kind of like almost saintly right like he's like this right. great dad right. and whatever like so it was interesting to see him as like this i mean let's face it if 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 bruce wayne existed and thomas wayne existed thomas wayne would be more like the guy that we saw in this movie than like the other guy you know what i mean he would probably be more more of like a one percent dickhead and um so it did now it did get a little he didn't they they walked a little bit of a line there because he did almost yes, he become did. a little cartoony, you know, like in how how much of a one percenter he was, right? Like, but but I, I also I appreciated the, the effort. Um, I will say though, like, and Mark, as as my fellow film scholar, uh, maybe you can maybe I'm overthinking this, but what did you think about the specific choice of playing? of them going to a screening of modern times, which is a movie set in the great depression about how the, the rich basically are, you know, taking advantage of the poor. Shit. I didn't even think of that. That's actually that pretty was, genius. That was so, that was deliberate. There was, so there was two things I thought of. Oh, no, it was deliberate. Do you think it was a little too on the, like, nose? On the nose? A little bit, a little bit. But I feel like this is one of those – there's two things that I, that I took away from that. Number one was that, okay, Phillips, you're being a little – you're being a little on the nose there, bud. <laughs> and uh, number two, I'm like, the reason this is here other than that is they just wanted to give us a, an excuse to show that scene with Charlie Chaplin like rolling around on the <laughs> on the skates. Like that was uh... – Well, I think that's – it also it also ties into the fact that they use, you know, Smile as a, as part of the soundtrack. Right. right, which is from that film. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I, I thought there was a point where I was like, okay, having a bunch of, like, wealthy people in tuxedos watching this specific film and laughing at it and not getting the irony might just be a little too much fuck you 1%. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and hey, I'm a fuck you 1% as much as anybody, but that just might be a little too much, like, I get it. Todd Phillips, I get it, you know. Yeah, but he, but at, at the same time, he tried to have like the both sides thing too. So when it came, to, I, I guess because he's trying to, he was trying to stay like apolitical and take shots at both sides. But then it comes off a little disingenuous. Like if you're gonna start a narrative one with like 
pick a side. Like at least kind of. I don't know. Do you think, what you're saying, you think you know? so? Because like I feel like the I feel like it was pretty on the side of of the of the common folk. I don't think I think the the one percenters look pretty bad in this one. Like yeah, the 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 like the everyone else like the ninety nine percent or whatever you want to call them were were did descendants of violence. So yes. I guess maybe yeah. you could say that, but. I still like. I still feel like you're meant to sympathize with them. Uh, which I, which I get what you're saying, but I just feel like having them like go that route and, and basically start to burn the city to the ground almost. Yeah, like, I mean they saying, burn. Okay, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, they you know they burn the city. They start looting. They start rioting. You know, people start dying, and that's how you know. In the middle of that is when Thomas and Martha Wayne get killed. So and I'm and I'm glad you brought that up. Did you feel like the, this movie needed that? I didn't think it did. It was a nice Easter egg, but I didn't feel like it, we we really. I, how many times do we have to see this? Like it's almost like it's, it's becoming a running joke. Like you know, seeing Uncle Ben die. Like how many times do we have to see? Bruce well, I mean, die? I honestly, I think they, I think it did need it. Only if there was if it wasn't going to happen, there was really no point to have Thomas Wayne in the film. That's kind of how if, I see it too. Like if you're going to have Thomas Wayne in there, like. What I what I thought was I did like one thing I, the one thing I say I did like about that specific scene is um in the in in the sense of the change from what was in the le- leaked script um at the in the leaked script the line the that the shooter says is you still think we're all fucking clowns instead it was changed to you get what you fucking deserve which is exactly what um joker says when he kills murray franklin i thought that was a much better choice than what they had in the script you know but that's that's just me oh and by the way i just want to point out to that entire scene when um uh when uh joker is on the uh i'm gonna call it the rupert pumpkin show um he uh he like just from from the moment that colonel who's like we mentioned already earlier such a beautiful shot Yes. Um, when that curtain opens and he walks out there, just even though like like he's dancing around the crowd is loving it, like just but from that moment though, I'm sitting there and I'm I have butterflies in my stomach, like this is not gonna end good. Like and you're just kinda dreading the scene. Not because it's like a bad scene, but because like you know shit's about to go down. Yeah. Well like, here's the thing, like I'm, I, I and I'm like, I'm not emotionally ready for this. I did wonder how far he was gonna go because like I did know first of all, we did see that he had a gun. And we, that was already set up. That was, that, that was, you know, foreshadowed. But because I was getting Dark Knight Returns vibes, I was like, okay, Robert De Niro's gonna die. But how many other people is he gonna take with him? Is he gonna take, like, the other two guests out? Is he gonna take, like, a camera guy out? Or some of the audience members out? You know, like, he clearly is not, he, he hasn't planned it out to, like, kill the entire audience. But, like, he's certainly gonna kill a few people, at least, right? And it turns out he only killed Robert De Niro, but still, I was like, I was getting that feeling of dread, like, right? How bad is it's, it going it's, to be? It, it is very, you know, it's very. Um, I can understand that, but you know, at the same time, when he's uh, planning, when he's doing like his practice to go on the show, and he's fe- uh, pretending to shoot himself, and even in the dressing room when he has the gun under his chin, you know, it it makes you believe that that's the plan that he's really going to kill himself on live TV. But you know, I think. I don't know. I think it's very it's it's interesting either way. There is definitely a Dark Knight Returns vibe to it, and I, I can understand why a lot of people thought that he was going to take um, 
out more people than just the host. But I kind of figured, even before you know, reading the script, I kind of figured that I don't I don't know. I think it's I'm I'm rambling. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. But but what I the point another point I want to make, kind of staying on this particular scene, is and it kind of helps the point you were making earlier, Dolph. I think that Joe was was mentioning how like you know he kind of sees himself as as like the instigator of these moments but it, it might actually not have been him at all right so one of those things that kind of like in the same sense as or how earlier in the film we were talking about when you know zazie beats came to the door and just kind of nonchalantly asked him were you stalking me like I, that's so like you could tell like that's fake like that's no way that like a, a regular person would react to something like that right so yeah. i kind of got that vibe during this scene, like not when he comes out, but right before that, when he's in the dressing room, and uh, and uh, Murray Franklin comes to see him with the with Mark Marin, by the way, which popped me when I saw Mark Marin there. Um, so, don't you think that like normally, or I, I, I'm just speaking as like as a, a normal person or a normal maybe host in that situation would react if you see a guy that you're if you see a guest that you booked on your show show up in clown makeup literally like hours after you just see another clown related crime on the news wouldn't you just like bump them off the show at that point like why would you even risk having them on like you know <laughs> like at that point he should just bump them from the show but hey but i he think it's kind of established that, that that murray is kind of a piece of shit though like and he's really just trying to get ratings right so yeah like, it's very much uh, you know it's very much a rare Ratings ploy. He he thinks that him being in that, him having that makeup would, you know, garner the show attention. Which I get, but I just feel like maybe that's one of those things that maybe kind of alludes to your point earlier, Dolph, that maybe he wasn't really the guy there because I feel like normally that that's not how that's not how would have gone. A, a host would have seen that and just bumped him. But maybe I'm just being too like I'm just giving him too much credit. But whatever. Uh, but that's one of the things that kind of caught me too, like. I would have just bumped him off the show at that point, bro. Like, are you, are you really at a risk, like, you know, like alienating your audience or, you know, maybe risking maybe something else happening like it did, actually. But um, but uh, another point I want to make, and this is something that I was kind of alluding to earlier when I mentioned Big D, because I was watching his review. And by the way, definitely check out his spoiler review if you've seen the movie already on, on Joker. It's on his World of Geekdom YouTube page. Really good stuff. Um, but one of the points that he made kind of stuck with me, and I kind of want to bring it up to you guys. Uh, he mentioned how, like, the structure of the film, and you are—you already mentioned this word already, uh, headcase, earlier. It almost comes off like a Shakespearean tragedy, and I mentioned this also in my written review. And the thing that I kind of take away from that the most is how the real tragedy in the film is not so much that Arthur Fleck basically succumbs to his demons and he becomes the Joker. I think the real tragedy is that not only does he let it happen, it's when he lets this happen that he finds peace. And that's the real tragedy of the story. That unfortunately, like, you know, he couldn't fight off any of his demons. They consume him. But it's in that consumption that he finds peace. And it's, it bring, it's kind of alludes to a point that you made, Adolfo, earlier when you were talking about Joaquin Phoenix's performance, how – at the and you mentioned the two-head case. When, like, in mm-hmm. the beginning when he's laughing uncontrollably, you know, the eyes don't don't reflect the laughter, right? But at yeah, the end it, when he fully becomes the Joker, 
the eyes reflect the laughter. Like he's fully become the Joker. That's the real tragedy in the story. Absolutely. But I just thought that was just a brilliant story beat, and I I love how he kind of mentioned it as a Shakespearean tragedy because when you really think about it, it kind of hits the same beats that Shakespeare does, and that's what makes it also like pretty brilliant, I think. I agree. But, uh, is there, is there uh, anything else you guys want to bring up? Um, there is there are a couple of things I wanted to bring up, and again, these are hearkening back to the uh, leaked script. One thing I thought uh, I had mentioned it earlier when he says the line when uh, he says the line that he's that he kills uh, when he kills Murray he's like the joke what do you get when you in the script it's different I mean it's the same but it's a one word is different he says what do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a system that abandons him and tr- treats him like trash the fact that they changed it specifically changed it to what do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a society that abandons him and treats him like trash. The fact that I think they possibly could have done that to play into the we live in a society meme. I remember when the, there, there were clips from the Venice uh, showing that leaked, and I remember saying uh, seeing one thing on, uh, on Twitter. Someone had posted a tweet saying – Say the line, Joker, and he. It was a clip of uh, Joker saying the word "society," followed by the clip from The Simpsons uh, when the, everyone cheers when Bart says, "I didn't do it." Like all the cla- all his classmates <laughs> cheer when he says, "I didn't." That's do it. That's pretty good. <laughs> I do. So yes, I do think that um, they probably did that as a uh, uh a nod to the meme. The line itself is already kind of on the nose for me. What do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a with a, a society or, or system that abandons the fact that they spell that spells it out for you is kind of. I know it's only like a, a catalyst for the you get what you fucking deserve and then he shoots him, but still that's that kind of spells it out for you and that's kind of on the nose for me. Um, one other thing I want to bring up is that the at the very end when he does the the when he comes when he stands on the cop car and the um the 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 bloody smile right one thing i thought in the in the script it's a lot violent it's a lot more because it's um what i'll say is early on in the in the script they mark they uh they just they ditch this idea they they uh specifically spell out that he has two small cuts in his uh in the corners of his mouth and uh later on in the script he's talking to uh sophie and he mentions how he did those uh cuts himself because he didn't like being teased about uh uh not being happy now at the in this in the set at the end of the in the script what i want you guys opinion on this would this have been better than what ended up happening this would have been a lot more violent what he actually ends up doing is taking a, a a shard of glass from the window of the cop car, and it looks like he's going to slit his wrist, but instead he sli- he slices into his mouth and makes a scar, uh, tears into his mouth to make a sm- cut his own smile. And, and I guess in the instead what they did was made it a lot more violent, but made it a you know a lot less violent, but 
still it's very you know impactful to see he pulls he makes the the blood out of his mouth and makes that into a smile uh even if you know on its own it's still a, a fantastic um image and in fact it's here in the in the script is like that it says now he is the joker like that's the moment that he becomes the clown prince of crime is what it says in the script but would i wanted to ask you guys opinion would that have been better would that have been more interesting if he had actually cut his smile into his face with a piece of jagged glass from the cop car i mean it would have been more shocking uh, uh, interesting i don't know if i would say interesting but definitely more shocking i kind of like how they did it in the movie i kind of like that better all right i I wanted you guys opinion on that i'm you i'm probably going to send both of you this leaked script if you want to read over it and you know make uh see the difference between that and the movie just because you know by doing the cutting his face then you're then you're too close to the dark night and this is supposed to be its own thing you know that's probably that's probably why they changed it i wouldn't be you're you're probably you're right i I wouldn't be surprised if that's why they changed it yeah i was gonna make the same point too like when you're saying like he cuts his mouth it's like oh like heath ledger then okay that makes so that makes sense another thing that they're gonna borrow from but uh, but but yeah, I think I agree with Adolfo. I think the way they did it was better. Like, I mean, the other way would have been more shocking. But I think just overall, I I, I like the visual that we got. I think the, they did it just. Yeah, right. honestly, and when I and when I read back the script now, it's honestly it's just him coming at, getting out of the cop car and then cutting. You know, with no crowd around him, it's just him leaning against the car and then cutting the. The smile into his face, whereas in, in the the movie he he ha, you, you know he's pulled out of the car by some of the thugs and then they basically cheer him on after he wakes up and he s- smears the blood into a smile. Actually, when you say when you think about it like that, that's probably more impactful. Yeah, with having the crowd around him makes it more impactful. What they did in the movie is honestly probably the better choice. Yeah. Uh, just a, a quick little point too. Uh, was I the only one that uh that laughed when I when at the scene when he goes to visit Bruce and Bruce slides down the pole? Oh yeah, yeah. You know what? I, I, I didn't even noticed think of that. that. Yeah, it's. I thought, uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I did. The, I didn't that laugh at that, but deliberate. I noticed it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, uh, was I, there I anybody? There, let me ask Phillips. you guys. Let me ask you this. How many people laughed in uh, in your um, in you guys' screening after he kills his uh, his coworker, uh, the big guy Randall, and he lets the um, the other guy go, and because he's you know a midget, oh. he can't reach the, he can't reach the lock. Oh, no. If both yep. showings I went to, the crowd laughed at that. You know, people laughed, but yeah, I got to be honest, I think it felt more like a nervous laughter, like, oh, shit. You know, kind of like, you know how people kind of laugh during horror movies whenever they're scared? It almost felt like that, like, like they thought this was going to end really bad for him, and they were kind of right. almost scared, and then they kind of let out that tension and laughter. It didn't seem like an actual comedic laugh with the people I saw it with. Well, it definitely, 
It definitely felt that way in the in the when I uh, at the screenings that I went to. They like audibly laughed when he lunged at him to make to to make it seem like he was gonna attack him, and then you know now he can't reach the lock. So I mean, they laughed at that. Like it, it, it didn't seem like a nervous laugh with the crowds that I saw it with. But you know, I thought that was interesting. In, in both showings, that was the one moment where the, everyone in you know both crowds laughed to me. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, people laughed at at my screening too. But again, like Adolfo said, it was more of like a nervous, like what the hell's going to happen next laughter to kind of right. diffuse everything because they had just seen like a guy basically get his brain stabbed in, right? And and his yeah, he, skull he cracked, you know, his neck. And it was his neck and then the eye, and then he's just bludgeoning him against the wall. Yeah. And ugh. So obviously that was done to kind of diffuse like the whole what we just saw but at at the same time it's like yeah it's the situation itself is comedic but it's not like you know it's one of those things where like oh my god like is he gonna get how's he gonna get out of this now you're just kind of laughing to kind of just keep him almost like you know not going insane but like kind of just from keep just from getting becoming all sad about it you know what i'm saying like it's a little hard to describe but it's just to kind of keep that emotion at bay you got to kind of have to laugh at it so I, I definitely see where you're coming from there. I did think um, it was interesting that he let uh, that he let the midget go because there's no way he, he did not go to the police after that. Like, I mean, I know as you were the only one that was ever nice to me, but after what you just did and what he just saw, how how do you not think he's going to go to the police and like I just witnessed a murder? Well, I mean, yeah, I man, think that that's why the matter. two cops showed up afterwards. You well, that's the, the thing. In the, like, I in thought the, that was directly correlated to the dude calling the cops on him. It's not, actually. Um, uh, one thing I'll notice is in the script, um, and they don't have this. Uh, here's the thing. They don't have this in the movie, but um, it's in the script, and there's a clip of it in the second trailer. I almost guarantee that it's from that scene he, uh, at his mom's funeral. Um, there's a scene where he's outside wearing the red suit. But he's not wearing a face paint, and he's smiling. If you go back and watch the second trailer, I almost guarantee that's from his mo- uh, the funeral scene that was cut. Um, and at that funeral scene, they question him about the the clown murders, and he's like, "I just buried my mother." And he's like, "Oh well, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll come see you. Come down by the station tomorrow." And in the script, it's like, "Hey, we, you never came down by the station," and he takes off and runs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Again, um, I, I know I referred back to the script a lot, but I think it's the fact that it's 80%, at least 80% accurate was, you know, I, maybe I, if, if I hadn't read the script, maybe I would have liked it more the first time I saw it. But I, I don't know. Maybe I did. I'm, I think. He was probably right that I tricked my brain, and I probably really ruined the movie for myself uh, by spoiling it. But hearing so many people talk about it and how bad it was and how it was, you know, the incel power fantasy, I guess my curiosity got the better of me. And when I read the script and I hated it, you know, I was expecting going into the movie to really, really fucking hate this. But, you know. So if do you guys have any other points you want to make about the film? Because I want to close with a with one last thing. But do you guys have anything else to say about it before I do that? 
No. Um, no, it's it just just a movie that like as I as I keep watching it over the you know, because I'm gonna, probably going to watch this movie many times over the years. Uh, I'm probably going to have a different interpretation of different scenes just because you do have the unreliable narrator aspect of it. I almost want to just take the movie's movie as it presents itself, like, you know, and just take it at face value. Like, the, where the only, like, you know, he did commit the murders and he did go on the, the, the show and, and shoot him and, and all this. And then, you know, he did have the moment on top of the cop car and all this other stuff. I, I want to kind of take it at face value, but I also kind of want to go back and reexamine things and see is that moment a fantasy or reality or, or not and see, see where it lines up. So, um, the only other thing I would like to say is like, and I almost kind of wish, and this might, again, this might have to be uh, going back to like, what does that scene mean? And what doesn't it mean? I almost kind of wish they would have ended the movie like a minute earlier and not had that scene in the hallway at the end. Um, I almost, cause, cause I like the whole, whatever he, he's, he's like being interviewed and he's kind of laughing, and she goes, you want to tell me the joke? And he says, you wouldn't get it. I almost wish it would have ended there, uh, but then it goes on a little bit longer, obviously, because there's that, because the way I kind of interpret that scene, even though there's no way he should know this, because they show a shot of Bruce standing over his dead parents, right? And as a comic book geek, you would think the ultimate cosmic joke is that he just created his own worst enemy by with his actions. He created his own worst enemy and that yeah. to the Joker would be funny, but there's no way he would know that. that right. You know what I mean? But is that like a meta commentary? And then that's why he's saying you wouldn't get it or not. You know what I mean? Cause that think that's what he's referring to. But again, definitely, no, how would he know that? Here's another weird, here's another weird thing in the, in the leaked script, he uh, what it says is um, he does say that it's instead instead the leaked script is you uh, when he's like no I don't want to tell you the Joker and then the hospital the, the the I mean I don't want to tell you the joke and the doctor says because you don't think I'll get it and he says because it's personal it's between me and him that the fact that that's not in the film but that's in the I don't know. That's in the original script. I think it's uh, it doesn't in the in the script it doesn't allude to being. Uh, I mean, it's. Uh, I think uh, never mind. I'm going off on a tangent. Well, it Forget just seems it. like it just seems like in this in this movie, just because everyone knows that that moment created Batman, and this filmmaker specifically inserted that shot of Bruce standing over his dead parents as the Joker is laughing while he's doing this interview. And he says, mm-hmm. you wouldn't get it because, but the audience gets it. But again, how like the logical part of me is like, but how would he know that he did that because he hasn't become Batman yet. But then right. the like filmmaker part of me is, but this man is also crazy and you don't, you can't always trust what he's saying. So what, you know what I mean? So is it like just this meta commentary that he thinks is funny? Well, maybe it's, so that's maybe why it's I think a, it would have been better if it just end, ended that moment. Well, maybe it's another allusion to, you know, he was uh, an orphan. The, the, the adoption papers, he was, says he was an orphan that was abandoned, you know, and maybe that's the joke that Bruce Wayne is now an orphan, you know, 
or something like yeah. that. I don't know. Either way, it's clearly about Bruce. Yeah, right. And I think that, to me, I read it as he knows he created something and and nobody else is going to get it except him. And I think that would have been a more powerful way to end the movie on that note of him just going, you wouldn't get it, you know, and then cut to to credits. That probably would uh, be... It would definitely be... uh, Maybe, but at the same time, the the last shot of him in the hallway and him dancing, and then he's chased by the orderly. It almost looks like fucking slapstick, like like fucking Scooby Doo. Like they're coming, like in the distance, he runs down that way. He's being chased by the orderly. Then he runs the other way. It looks it looks like Scooby Doo. But here's the other thing, right? It looks like fucking straight up slap, huh? If that's supposed to be Arkham. Earlier, yeah, when he was I in thought. Arkham, that place looked like a shithole. But in this, when he's walking down the hallway, it looks really clean and pristine. It and does. the sun's shining right through the window. So, like yep. we were talking about earlier, maybe this with the sun shining is the key that it's fake. But who knows? But I, I did notice that, too. But that's interesting. Um, so, I guess, with having said that, I just want to make one more point, and then we're going to gonna send it home um just to kind of speak overall on just the weekend because i we all three of us i think the consensus we we all three of us enjoyed this movie um and you know it did have a lot of the kind of hype surrounding it you know good and bad but i think Mm -hmm. the thing that people uh somehow are forgetting about this is that when it comes to movies or when it comes to any type of art form, you need to go into it with an open mind. And like I mentioned earlier, a lot of the stuff that I, I that I read, I mean, I read a lot of opinions and reviews in the last 48 hours as it pertains to Joker. And mm-hmm. the thing that struck me, as I mentioned earlier in the show, is that most of these think pieces came out before the movie even came out. You know, and a lot of these people that are watching it, that are, are writing about it, hadn't even seen it yet. Like they weren't part of the, the the critics that went to Venice and saw it. They didn't see it at the at I think New York Film Festival when it was screened there. It's like, how are you ca- talking about a movie and making up your mind about a movie already without having seen it? And it's one of the things that I, I laid out at the beginning of my review is that, you know, I feel weird and funny that I have to mention that. I went into this movie with an open mind because that's how everybody should go into movies. That's how all moviegoers should go into movies with an open mind. You're absolutely right. In, in, in the, in the, in the like social media dominated society we live in now, it's like, oh, I read, you know, these reviews that validate my opinion on it, so I don't have to see it anymore. I know what it's about and I hate it. You know, like, dude, like, go watch the movie and make up your own mind first before, you know, you, you sit down and write these articles or, you know, throw out your little tweets. With your opinion, actually watch the damn movie first. And I just felt funny that in my review, I had to actually point out that I went into it despite the controversy, quote unquote, with an open mind. It's just I I shouldn't feel like I have to say that because it should be a given. But that's just not the world we live in right now, and it's just it's 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 weird. It's just weird that I have to even mention that. But I can agree with that. I, I I think that was probably like I said I've said it a few times. That was probably a big issue with me, like. Because I read that script, I didn't go into it with an open mind. I expected to hate it based on what I read. And I know that was – I mean I – there was a news 
articles when they were filming the uh the the movie that mentioned how Todd Phillips was rewriting the script on set like that script would change day to day so you know no I knew going into it that that script that I read was not the so the final version but still I let that color my expectations and you know I probably would have liked it more when I saw it had I went into it with an open mind and had I not read that script beforehand. This is the first – I've never spoiled myself to this extent on a movie before it came out. Never. Not purposely anyway. Yeah, it's just – and what I feel bad for the most is the fact that Joaquin Phoenix now has to go through these interviews and kind of have to get asked these questions like, oh, do you think this movie is going to inspire like mass shooters? Like, I think he walked out of, of an interview. That I, he I did. With the, I think it was with the Telegraph UK. If it's not them, I apologize. But I think it was them where the guy just straight up asked him, do you think, you know, your movie's going to inspire, like, mass shooters? And he just, like, I don't know. I, I forget how it was described, but he, but he essentially just literally gave him, like, a look, got up, and just walked out. And then it took yep. about maybe an hour to two hours of them, like, talking with the Warner Brothers PR guy to get him to come back. But it's like, you know, he's now going to get these questions all the time from these, like, quote-unquote reporters and critics about, you know, how he thinks the movie's going to, you know, cause the next mass shooting. And it's not fair. It's really well, not fair it's, to him. And I think at this point, the media might want that to happen because they keep making the articles and they keep, you know, before the film was coming out, there was, you know, uh, security guards at screenings. There were... There were security you know, guards at my screening. There was a there was a security guard at my screening too. Yeah. And, and um, the one the first one the one where I went to at AMC the second one was at a local theater here, but um, yeah I think there was a lot of hype thinking that oh this film is going to inspire somebody maybe they want that to happen. I mean nobody really wants that to happen but you know me that's I don't know I think the way that that that, that paints a narrative. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting that people will, will, uh, go into this, but, you know, you know, perpetuating that narrative, but at the same time, you know, they also want to argue, oh, well, video games and movies don't inspire, don't create psychos, but, you know, movies make it's either one creators. or the other. If, exactly. They, you know, it's either one or the other. You know, don't push one narrative and then, you know, say and then go back and say it doesn't. You know. Oh, video games don't make cycles, but movies do, and vice versa. Like that's that's asinine to to make an argument. Exactly. Like that. I, I that's exactly what I agree with. Oh, and then like at the article I shared today, apparently some guy got escorted out of a screening in Times Square because he was laughing too loudly at the violent scene. The people got freaked out. Yeah, he, yeah apparently <laughs> this guy was applauding every time somebody got killed. Right, and then people got started getting freaked out. <laughs> and uh, I talked privately about it with Big D. And I'm like, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the Simpsons episode with uh, Homer and Larry Burns where they're at the movie theater. And, like, they're laughing too loudly, and Hans Molman, like, walks out, and he calls the cops on him for, quote-unquote, yeah. talk, talking loudly. <laughs> so I'm like, this, this is exactly what happened. They called the cops because he was laughing too loud. <laughs> 
and it's just like, oh my god. I mean, at the theater I went to, I didn't see any security, which is which is weird because it's like you, Adolfo, you said you had security. Mm-hmm. Ted you said you had security. I think Big D said even he, his theater had security. So, and there was well, I imagine it's all it's, weekend. That I'm gonna know. take a wild, I'm gonna take a wild guess and say you you guys all saw it at AMC, correct? I did, yes. Yeah, that's like uh, that. I'm assuming because it's a big theater chain. Um, you know, maybe a corporate, uh, corporate uh, mandate or something. Perhaps, like I said, the 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 other theater I went to was a small, like local theater, Carolina Mall Cinema, and uh, you know, it's a small place. They didn't really have security, and you know, the one thing I will say about and I, just to not go on any tangent, the uh, one thing that was refreshing when I saw it the second time at the 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 local theater. Only two trailers before the movie, and then the movie oh, I started. Love that. Uh, it was it, it was the same thing because I had went to this theater to see uh, um, Into the Spider Verse, and it was the same thing: two trailers, and the movie starts. Whereas you get you go to an AMC or a Regal chain, or minutes, bro. and it's basically 20, 30 minutes of previews. Yep, at the art house I always go to, they show a maximum of three trailers, and that's it. Um, sometimes they'll do two, but sometimes they'll throw in an extra one, and then the movie starts. I love that, and then you're you're, and it's, it takes like what, like maybe five to ten minutes to get through. Them right. You're, I you're think good, the but. I think the most you should most trailers you should show as is at least four or five. I think. Uh, I gotta be don't, honest. Start to go, don't make it. Don't make it so that that you wait so long for the movie to start. I mean, I can get they're wanting to wait to make sure that people come into the theater or to use the bathroom before the movie starts. But, you know, we don't want to sit there and watch like 10 trailers um, before the movie starts. I, I got to be honest. The one thing I, I will, I do appreciate about all the trailers though, is that if I'm running late, I know I've got a lot of wiggle room before the movie. Right. Starts. <laughs> That's right. I get that. Like, it's like, Oh man, I'm going to be like five minutes late. I'm like, Oh, I'll still be there before the movie starts though. I'll be good. I will say this at both trailers, both showings I went to, Knives Out was the first trailer I saw, and that looks fucking great, and I want to see that. Well, I, I think you guys saw my my Facebook message on about the my Facebook post about like these these two dudes in the, that literally because Ryan Johnson's name comes up comes up at one point. No, it goes from the from the from the director that brought you Star Wars: The Last Jedi, and then you see these two guys are like, boom, and then later on, like you know, from director Ryan Johnson, boom. I'm like, oh my god, you guys. What a fucking, fucking look! Once, I didn't. Once was enough. Once was enough. Like I didn't like the Last Jedi either, but come on. Like get the fuck over it. Like exactly. <laughs> Like, go get a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever the hell. Just get over yourself. It's a fucking movie. You can hate it if you want, but booing at the fucking name on the trailer is the most, like, like nine-year-old shit, like, I've ever seen in my life. Exactly. Not for nothing, I, and I, I'll admit, I'll go as far as to admit this. The very first time I saw the Knives Out trailer in theaters, I did boo the Ryan Johnson name personally, but I haven't done it ever since. But having said that as well, Knives Out looks good. I actually well, I'll say this: I didn't even know it was a Ryan Johnson movie. I went into it and I first, when I first saw the trailer at the uh, before. Um, cause this is a third time. That would be the second and third time I saw the trailer. First time was before It Chapter Two. 
I didn't even know it was a Ryan Johnson. I thought it was a Clue remake. I, honest to God, that's what I thought that's it was. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. That's and honest to God what I thought it was. I took, uh, when Peter H. was here for WrestleMania, I actually took him to Alamo because they were having a Clue uh, movie party. So I actually took him to see Alamo for that because apparently, like, Clue is, like, his one of his wife's favorite movies. So, like, oh, it worked out perfectly. We'll just we'll, we'll a great go movie. to see that. Nice. Clue's fucking awesome, dude. Our boy Tim Curry. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um... I'm gonna. I'll probably see it again at Alamo um, because I know they they have. I heard they have an awesome pre-show for that movie. Um, so I'm definitely gonna try to catch the 70 millimeter over there for my second viewing. So that should be that should be interesting. But um, I think that's pretty much all we have to say about it. Does anybody have any other points, or can we go home? I think we can go home. Uh, I definitely don't want to see a sequel. I mean, oh, no, th- no, no. This is let's find the way it is. Yeah. Exactly. I think people. Uh, um, People will see his performance and maybe, like, want to see a sequel, but no. You do not want to see a follow-up to this, or I don't want to see... And I don't even think, like, if the Joker is in the Matt Reeves Batman movie, I don't want Joaquin Phoenix to play him. I don't think that'll work. Yeah, but I don't want Jared Leto to play him either. Yeah, Yeah, neither. (laughs) No, I don't want Jared Leto to play him either. Shit. But, you know, I don't think, like, crossing those... Those two universes would work, I think. I don't. Th- I, I think. Well, I heard Jared Leto was pissed that there was going to be another Joker anyway. Well, who gives <laughs> you know, a shit what Jared Leto thinks? Nobody... <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I heard that that's a scuttlebutt that he wasn't too happy when this movie was announced. So. Well, he wasn't happy. He wouldn't. He wasn't fucking happy with Suicide Squad. Let him be a pissy little bitch. And what I think is funny too is that when you when you think about it, like think about the um, just the history of the Joker role and like the actors that have played him. Like among that, you know, three three of the people that have played Joker have won Oscars, and we're about to add a possibly, not to jinx it, but we'll probably add a fourth to that list very soon. I just think it's funny that like that's a role that like commands like so much respect now. You know, like you had yeah. Jack Nicholson Oscar winner, Jared Leto Oscar winner, Heath Ledger Oscar winner. You know, so but Heath Ledger was the one who who won four won as yeah. the Joker. But I mean, just which not, which mean, would be go ahead. It's gonna like he's gonna add to like a uh, a, a very exclusive club of people. Different actors who have won an Oscar for playing the same role. There's been a couple other ones. It's I think it's usually like historical figures. Um, but like the one, the other one most famous one is Robert De Niro and Marlon Brando for Vito Corleone. Um, but yeah. most of the other ones on the list are like historical figures. I think. Um, yeah. But it, it's a, I think for fictional characters, it'll be it's a very 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 short list of people who have played this. Uh, the same role, different actors, but won an Oscar. I think right. it's really only Vito Corleone, and if and if it's the Joker, it'll be the second time. Right. Maybe like a Shakespeare, like a Shakespeare adaptation or something. I don't know, but it, but I think it's mostly like historical figures, like Queen Elizabeth or something. You know. Right. Yeah. But uh, but I think with that we can uh, wrap up Force Perspective. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for joining us. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, send an email to fpmpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow all of my rambling nonsense on Twitter at SportsGuy515. Um, Right now, I'm kind of ranting about the uh, what just finished a few hours ago, the Hell in a Cell WWE pay-per-view, which everybody seems like they're pissed off about that right now. Yeah, let's let's not get into that now. But I will get into something very wrestling-related in a minute. Um, 
yes, I know I mentioned the last episode that we would have done the 500 Days of Summer episode now, but I think Joker was the more timely topic to go with. So that'll be our next episode of Force Perspective. So I kind of have to bump that a week or so, or a few days, I should say. So uh, next episode, we'll definitely get into the whole 500 Days of Summer episode that we promised. Um, but uh, I think, you know, this was a great conversation on on Joker. But Adolfo, do you have any plugs? Yeah, uh, EssentialFilmsPodcast.com, um, the Essential Films Podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, and on Google Play. Um, our last episode was The Graduate, um, which is why we're tying that in with the 500 Days of Summer, where we'll do the we'll do a force perspective on a retrospective on that one. Um, our next uh, uh, Essential Films Podcast is going to be. Um, Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, uh, much of uh, a much different on the spectrum than Joker, um, <laughs> but that'll be our next uh, our next essential film podcast. And, and if we can get sneak another one in, there's also hopefully a Halloween episode to yes. get in before the end of October. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that on the next essential films podcast. Uh, do you have any plugs, Headcase? Um, not really. I'll just uh my Bandcamp page or. You know, mcheadcase.bandcamp.com. I do have an actual website, uh, mcheadcase.com, but I don't, it, uh, it just directs to my, redirects to my Bandcamp page. Um, of course, Lunatic Fringe is self-portrait. My first album is still out. Um, I'm currently ro- uh, recording new music. Like I said, I went through a lot of really heavy shit in the last couple of years, and that's really kept me away from doing, uh, the things I like to do, but uh, I'm slowly but surely starting to get back into that. I'm currently recording a, a new album, and uh, hopefully I can have that done um, and have that out to you guys sometime in 2020. But uh, for you know, I'll keep dropping some new stuff when I can. But uh, for right now, you know, just stay tuned. Uh, my Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm more active on Twitter than Facebook nowadays. So, uh, at MC Headcase, uh, same thing for Instagram, uh, Instagram.com slash MC Headcase. If you want to, uh, uh, see my pictures and occasional singing and rapping and other, you know, random shit that I do. So, <laughs> well, we're looking forward to all that head case. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, Thank you. But, bef- but before uh, we get out of here, I do want to bring up one quick thing. Um, so, and Adolfo, we may talk about this again when we do the uh, the Snow White show. But um, I did go to Alamo Draft House a few days ago to watch No Holds Barred, a movie that I have oh, not sh- seen on the big screen in tw- about 25 years. Dookie. Um, Yep, Dookie. Yep. Actually, no. Let me take that. I, from what I understand, from what Joe told me, I actually was taken to see this as like a two-year-old. But of course, I have no recollection of this whatsoever, right? Um, so this is technically my second time seeing it on the big screen, as it was for him as well. But I and and it's funny because he actually owned the VHS tape of this film, like the actual official VHS release. But I legit, and I remember like him like kind of wearing that tape out in like you know 91 92 or whenever it was you know that he like he got obsessed with it but i legit like had no it was almost like seeing it for the first time 
And there's just... By the way, I think the unsung hero in this movie is Kurt Fuller, who I love from Warm Wayne's World and other movies. But, like, here, he just takes the cartoony villain to, like, freaking times 100. And I love and I love the crowd that I was with because that whole beginning scene where he's in the boardroom with, like, the executives saying that we need to get ripped, you know? And there's a scene... There's a line in the movie, like, it's an exchange between um, Kurt Fuller and one of the executives... Where he's like, you know, what can what what can we do to get rip on on our channel, you know? And then the guy goes like, can we like throw money at him or something? And then the executive goes, you know, well, everybody says that his word is his bond. And I heard that, I just started dying, bro. Like, who would actually say that? Like, well, you know, his word is his bond. Like, <laughs> you can tell that Vince wrote that shit because he has no yep. idea, no no idea, like how real people talk, bro. And and it's funny because. Before the movie started, like, the, the, like, there was a host for, like, the screening, and he basically went into a whole history of the WWE in the 80s, you know, with WrestleMania 1 and the whole rock and wrestling thing, and how basically this all led to the creation of No Holds Barred, um, and how he talked about how basically that whole, like, climax of the film, you know, with, with Hulk and Zeus, basically was, was he Hulk came up with that basically while he was taking a shit, according to his biography, <laughs> bro. Like, he was literally sitting on the toilet... And he goes, and he goes like, brother, I, you know, I was sitting, I put my ass into the seat, and all of a sudden, like, it became clear the whole, the whole ending, like, because apparently they were in a, they locked yeah. themselves in a hotel room for like three days, coming up with, with, the, with the movie, and they got stuck at how to end it. So it wasn't until Hulk went to take a shit that all of a sudden, like, he had this epiphany while he was sitting there, and like the ending just came to him. So I'm like, so the guy goes, as you're watching the movie, just remember that. This was thought up while Hulk Hogan was on the toilet. So, I mean, <laughs> but I think the, the best thing about it, and I'm, and this is something that I've mentioned with a, I talked to Adolfo a lot of times with different movies, is that the thing that I love about a, a Alamo Drafthouse is their pre-shows. When they're really into a screening, they'll do a, like a pre-show where basically instead of like how at AMC you do, you know, commercials or you do like previews for like you know television shows or like other things, like they'll do like the sneak peeks or whatever. Or you get car commercials or M&M's commercials. No, you get, like, when they do a pre-show for a movie, they actually put in, like, stuff related to the movie. Like, for example, I actually put in the K- in the KLB page, I put, like, the whole Alamo pre-show for this film. Um, so one of the things they showed was a, a Willy Whopper cartoon, which was an M- old MGM cartoon, which is about wrestling. It's called Ten Wrestling Round. Um, it's pretty wacky. Um, I can link it to you guys if you want to actually watch it. They showed a trailer for the movie Body Slam, which I haven't seen in. Like, oh, a Body long Slam! Time. Holy Body shit! Body Slam. Yep, they showed a trailer for Body Slam. They showed the music video for "I'm in Love with Me" by Adrian Street, which is wacky already. Um, they showed some um, retro WWE uh, toy commercials from like the, um, I think it was the Hasbro, like the old Hasbro toys from the like, Jesse Ventura commercials or the Roddy Piper commercials. The Roddy Piper, the Roddy Piper ones. They okay. had uh, that Macho Man and Ultimate Warrior and uh, Ted DiBiase in it. That, that, those ones. Like, they showed, like, a whole bunch of those. They showed uh, a few clips from Secrets of Pro Wrestling from 1987. The first, I, This was the first, like, documentary I tried to expose the business. but Because um, they mentioned WrestleMania 3 breaking records and all that. And they just show like, these two guys in masks, like, just showing you how, like, the moves are done. Which is already wacky in and of itself. Um, they showed a, a trailer for a movie called Bad Guys. I think that had Stephen Baldwin in it and Sergeant Slaughter was in it too. Um, they showed uh, the vi- the video for um, American Made, the, the WCW Hulk Hogan song. Um, 
They showed a, they did like a training montage with Hogan and I think Luger, and they played the American Made song, which is already wacky. Uh, they showed the uh, clip from Andy Warhol at WrestleMania One, where he basically just like say, "Oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen." Every answer the Mean Gene that he gave him was basically, "Oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen," and it became like a running gag in and of itself. Which is, I mean, Andy Warhol is like he's a character in and of itself. So uh, they showed the real American music video. You know, with, with him, with, they show like, you know, where it shows JFK at the beginning and then they show like the monument and they show like Jefferson and all the presidents. They show MLK. It's just, just some 80s cheese there. They showed um, a clip from like, I think this is from, uh, I think this is from New Japan or All Japan or one of those old Japanese promotions where it's just two wrestlers kissing. They have a kissing match and it's just like, I've never seen it before, but it's like, okay, that's wacky. That's kind of weird. Um, they showed a clip of Mr. T and Hulk Hogan hosting SNL, with, and they had a clip with the skit with Billy Crystal in it. And then last but not least, they showed uh, Land of a Thousand Dances, the, <laughs> the music video with all of like the wrestlers. They were Roddy Piper, uh, Mr. Wonderful, I think uh, Macho Man was in it too, uh, Freddie Blassie. So that's how they kind of ended it. But again, like I love how they, they structure these pre-shows with all these wacky things that are related to the film. And this one, I was looking forward to probably this the more than the movie itself. And this did not disappoint. This was so awesome. I was marking out the whole time. I even took pictures of, like, this, the screen. I like, was posting them on Facebook and Instagram. Like, holy crap, this is <laughs> – they showed the real American music video. That's So crazy. how many people awesome. showed up to the screening? It was sold out. Wow. That's hilarious. It was sold out, bro. And, and some of the wrestling websites, I think, like PW Insider, like they were actually advertising that Alamo Drafthouse was showing this in New York. Like, they, like you know, rare screening of No Holds Barred in New York or something like the headline was said. I'm like, holy crap, this is getting like some buzz in the wrestling scene. Now, I'm assuming like the crowd reaction, people were laughing, but not at, they weren't like at the intentional laughs. Of course, they were <laughs> laughing at the ridiculousness of everything. Like, I, and something that I noticed, Dookie, bro, and it's something that I, I kind of caught me off guard in this age of woke was how many times like a woman got beat up in this movie and got thrown around. That was pretty like okay. <laughs> I mean, Vince McMahon did write this, so that that says a lot about him. But uh, and you know, like the scene where like Zeus picks up the old lady executive and just throws her <laughs> to the other guys. That was that was wacky. Like this, like I think the the bartender waitress and like the like the the seedy biker bar got thrown around too. A lot of people, a lot of women get thrown around in this movie, which is just, it's interesting not watching in 2019, but, um, anyway, but, I mean, I just loved it for the cheese of it all, and, like, the, the, the way Kurt Fuller dies by electrocuting himself, that was just, like, okay, that was kind of a little, that took a dark turn there, but, you know, it's, uh, it was whatever, and then, of course, the, the whole Spar theme song, which, <laughs> classic, and then uh, Joe goes to be like, bro, we're staying through the whole credits, because I want to hear that song. Like, okay, like, whatever, man. But, um, but yeah, it was a great experience. I mean, Alamo Draft was once again knocking it out of the park. Just kind of, you know, curtailing it, the whole experience, from the pre-show to the actual movie with the host, like, kind of introducing it, curtailing it to its intended audience. And for that, Alamo, you always, that's why you're always on my favorite movie theater. And that's why, Headcase, you have to go there. You have to go there, man. I am, I'm going to, I'm looking, I'm going to be looking very, very closely for uh, uh screenings for the irishman i'm pl- if you know if there's nothing if it's not playing here in charlotte or anywhere nearby i will definitely make the drive to raleigh i don't think there's going to be any theaters here that's playing it i don't think amc is going to play it um 
I think my I honestly do think my best bet will probably be the Alamo Draft House in Raleigh, if I, if anything at all. And yes, I I said before I am in fact willing to drive three hours, go, go watch a three and a half hour movie, and then drive three hours back. That's how I've been looking forward to this film for fucking years. This is my most anticipated film since Scorsese's last film, which was Silence. Great fucking movie, but I think it's been, absolutely it's forgot. It's been forgotten now, which is sad. Cause I, I really it's it's very sad, but that's a that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. Uh, and my next three trips right now are going to be for uh, probably for Jojo Rabbit. I'm going to go see it there. Um, and then I have a Ghostbusters movie party coming up. And then on Halloween night, I'm actually going to go see Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Season of the Witch? I'm looking forward to, yes. I'm very much looking forward to that. that the, they, the first screening they added, which I'm going to, was sold out now, so they have to actually add a second screening on Halloween for that, So, for because of the demand. So, I mean, because that one now, everybody's starting to love it now, and I get it. It's a, it's a great movie. The problem is that it's called Halloween 3. Like, you know, that's, right. that's where, where, like, the... the like the underratedness came into the picture, but just as a standalone movie, it's, it's really good. And I can't wait to see it with the crowd. Um, but yeah, but I just wanted to throw in some Alamo plugs there. Cause I love talking about that place, but do we have uh, anything else? Any last words before we get out of here? No, I think I'm good. I think that's, I think that about wraps it up. All right, everybody. Well, thank you again for joining us on this episode of Force Perspective. Uh, Headcase, thanks for coming on. I really, we, I'm a dolphin. I really appreciate it. You thank know, you great for having me on Joker. Of course, man. Yes, Anytime. thank you. And come, definitely come back soon. Maybe for the Irishman. But uh, that would be great. Uh, having said that, on behalf of Headcase, on behalf of Adolfo, I'm Mark Sportsguy515. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, we are out of here. How about another joke, Murray? No, I think we've had enough of your jokes. What do you get? I don't think so. When you cross a mentally ill owner with a society that abandons him and treats him like trash. Call the police, I'll tell you what you get. Call the police. Get what you fucking deserve. remember with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.